This episode is supported by Dove. Over half of the girls around the world suffer from low self-esteem, which causes them to opt out of important life activities and puts their health at risk. The Dove Self-Esteem Project is the world's largest provider of self-esteem education and teaches the next generation to feel comfortable in their own skin by working with schools and parents. Dove has created and uses educational, evidence-based resources that are designed to help young girls and boys reach their full potential. They cover topics like bullying and social media to help young people build a positive relationship with the way they look. You can get these printable resources to help increase self-esteem in the young people in your life at dove.ca slash self-esteem. But Alex. Yeah, Shane? Let's get into this episode. Let's do it. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my husband, Shane. The babies are in bed, the cat is in her room, and we are so glad that you could join us for happy hour. On this Family Tree podcast, episode 66. 66. 66. Wow. <laughs> uh, we made it. We're here. It's almost Christmas time. It's and, almost Christmas. I cannot wait. And even though we are a little bit bummed out, I mean, where we live, we're not allowed to see any family members. We're under what's called a gray zone. There's a ton of restrictions in what was already a challenging yeah. year for everyone in the world. And us, like we gave... Well, you gave birth to a baby <laughs> Thank during, you for recognizing during that. this pandemic. That was quite a trip. But that being said, I'm trying to stay positive here. Trying to stay positive. And why shouldn't you be? Christmas is, you know, gray zone aside. Christmas is around the corner. We're going to make the best of it. Santa Claus is coming to the Cunningham house. And I'm so happy about yes. that. Like this is Lucy's first Christmas where she gets it. And not only is Christmas around the corner, but we have a great episode lined up. Our first guest is Renee Rena. She's got a PhD in psychology. She's a blogger. She's an Instagram powerhouse. She's on TikTok and she is the host of the Mom Room podcast. And she talks a lot on her account and on this podcast. We talk, We try to talk about hot button parenting issues. Yeah. And what I love about Renee is she does everything from such a place of authenticity and humor. And she's so much fun to follow. She was so much fun to talk to. And it's just, it's such a great interview. We get into a lot of really interesting stuff like bed sharing with your spouse or whether you should sleep separate, breastfeeding, just it's awesome. Listen to it. You'll love it. But next up, we have Charnay Gordon. And Charnay is a diversity and inclusivity expert. And she's the woman behind Here We Read Instagram and podcast, where she talks about inclusive literature and different educational products that you can get for your home that promote diversity. This interview might not be a laugh a minute, but I do think it's an important interview because it deals with something we all are probably lacking on our bookshelves and in our toy rooms, which is diversity. Often people think they're doing their part because they have one one or two books or toys, myself included. And the fact is that there's just so much more out there if we just go outside what's in front of us and look for it. Yeah, and the easiest way to raise an anti-racist child is to start with your library, start with your toy collection. Are your toys diverse? And Charnay gives us so many great tips and suggestions on how to make this work. But should we have this delicious looking drink that's set before us? Absolutely we should. All right, so Shane, surprise, surprise. Cheers, babe. Eggnog, seed lip. <laughs> Eggnog and seed lip combo. Spice 94. The woodsy flavors go so perfectly with the nog. And honestly, it's December. It's creeping up to Christmas. I don't want to drink anything other than eggnog or coffee. I, I feel water. like this Boxing Day. I'm just not in eggnog anymore. I know people say you can drink it throughout. I, I say I say until like mid-January. Really? Yeah, I, I think so. The new year. January 1st latest for me. Yeah. Well, because see, we're going to the cottage after Christmas, and I really want to pick up a bottle of that panache, that really good eggnog from small towns. But that'll be after Christmas. 
Yeah, but I don't think I can drink it. Panache, I love it right now. Like I would step over my own mother just to <laughs> get with it. But you give get it to me. It. Well, to be with it. But if you give it to me on January 1st, I'm throwing that shit in the garbage. Because somehow eggnog is a magical drink that turns like, what is that movie, Cinderella? Where the, yeah. the beautiful pumpkin carriage turns into like trash at midnight? It turns into a regular pumpkin. Oh, I thought it, in my mind, for some reason, the carriage disintegrates into like a moldy piece of shit. I, I don't think so. I think it turns into a regular pumpkin. I have to watch Cinderella again, brush up a little bit. But yeah, no, eggs always have that inherently like rotten imagery as well as like tasty and protein and delicious. They also have that like easily rotting and off feeling for me. So I get what, I get where you're coming from. Topics. Would you like to get into them? And do you have one? Sometimes you slip a topic in and it... Yeah, I got one. So Shane, I'm feeling so Christmassy tonight. I think you are too. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I've really been trying hard, especially it is the last few days leading up to Christmas to just like super power inject our house with the Christmas spirit. And like Lucy is so into it. It's so cute to watch her, you know, just be a little Christmas elf all around the house. And aside from you know, work stresses and things like that. I do think that we have been really Christmassy. So I want to talk a little bit Christmas with you, Shane. So first up, just like bang, bang, bang. What are your three favorite Christmas songs? There are so many. So I want your three favorite and one that you cannot stand. I think my favorite and one I cannot stand is Jingle Bells. That's your favorite and the one that you cannot stand? Yeah. I don't think anybody ever says their favorite Christmas song is Jingle Bells. Well, I'm not it's like big, too classic. I'm not big into Christmas songs. Okay, wait. Oh, I like the Paul McCartney one. It's a little melancholy though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are having. I guess you know the song. And then, <laughs> please sing more. Jingle Bell Rock <laughs> is one. If I'm singing a song, as people know, Jingle Bell Rock is one I'm partial to. What about you, Alex? That's my three. Okay, okay. I didn't realize you listed three. All right. So I'm going with Little Drummer Boy, Bowie and Bang. Fairy Tale of New York by the Pogues, insanely good. I don't know that. Sing it. Oh my goodness. Sing it. And the bell. Sorry, I now I'm I'm getting nervous. No, I just need the melody. I'm not like. And the boys, <laughs> and the boys of the NYPD choir still singing Galway Bay, and the bells are ringing out for Christmas Day. I feel like I'm being pranked. That's not a Christmas <laughs> song. That does not exist in Christmas world. That's a real song. It's a real song. It's Pogues and Christy McCall. It's amazing. You're trying to pull some obscure shit just to seem No, Shane, this has been one of my favorite Christmas songs since I was like 14 and in a punk music. Okay. It's great. Anyhow, the one that I cannot stand, and just like when I said that I hated Love Actually, I know that I'm going to have some friends come after me for this one. All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Greats on me. Like pre-COVID, if I was shopping in a store and they started playing that song, I'm out of that store. I don't care if there's something in my hand. I drop it. I hightail it out of there because that song has such a negative impact on my brain. I hate it. Why? Oh, geez. I don't know. Maybe it's because I don't like Mariah Carey that much, but... What about Heartbreaker? No, I like Heartbreaker. Okay, there's... Okay, so I like... Mariah. Is that the Mia Mariah one? What's the one with the old dirty bastard comes in? He's like, Mia Mariah, go back. Babe, I've had a long day. My brain's not functioning. But I gotta look it up. Yeah, yeah, look it up. Okay, the song is called Fantasy. Mm -hmm. 
not heartbreaker okay so i guess i like regular mariah christmas mariah not into and i also think it's because so many people just love all i want for christmas is you and it's just like it's just the fact that so many people are so obsessed with it i i've heard it so clearly you like the obscure stuff you're one of those people who say george harrison's your favorite beetle and he wrote some great two great songs okay (laughs) he wrote something which is an amazing song what's the other great song i don't know he wrote something i dig that song a lot see look at all no no no, if you were in grade six right now you'd be called a poser here's the thing if I was liking punk rock anyway when I was 13, I still do now as a 32-year-old. I don't think that's being a poser. I think that's like just knowing what you like. But George Harrison's not the best Beatle. And I'm not Pete, saying he's the best. You've told me that before. He's most attractive. In a car ride, we worked it out that actually John or Paul's your favorite, John. most attractive. John's your most attractive Beatle. Yeah. yeah it's, it's the voice or something. But Shane, you haven't let me finish my list because my last song is Elvis's Blue Christmas, which I think you can get on board with, and I'm actually surprised you didn't mention. I like Elvis. I like his voice. A lot of the sounds, a lot of the songs sound similar, so I do not really know that one off. It's a blue who? Blue, 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 blue. Yeah, blue Hawaii, <laughs> blue Christmas. Man loves the color, and he sticks with it. But okay, is that is that it for your topic? Okay, well, I have one more topic. That's it for the Christmas songs. My next topic is, you know, Christmas is such a time of nostalgia for me. And I really like to sit there, like in the whole season, not only just on Christmas, but like leading up to it and think about days gone by. Think about, you know, times I've had with people that I love. And I think about my grandparents that have passed. I think about all the beautiful times we've had at Christmases with them. And especially now being in COVID, it's so hard because everybody is so removed from their families. That's a whole other issue, like... You know, people can't get together this year. And so I think I'm even more in that nostalgia, little cozy feeling of looking back. And I wanted to ask you what your favorite Christmas memory is or if you had a favorite Christmas tradition that like just really warms your heart to think of. I think my favorite Christmas memory was running down the stairs Christmas Day and seeing that my pet monster was under the tree. (laughs) And I was so excited. It was like my favorite cartoon character. And then my mom, like I would always wake up first, like classic mm-hmm. little kid. I was up like three hours before everyone else was awake. And then it turned out it was for my sister. <laughs> and I was so upset. I was like, what the? She doesn't even like my pet monster that much. I'm the my pet monster person. And it was devastating. But it was also my best memory because those three hours I had with my pet monster <laughs> were amazing. We didn't do anything weird. So, like, hold on. Your best Christmas memory that gives you the most nostalgic, warm, cozy. Because well, now I feeling. look back into it. Now I look back at it like and laugh because it's like <laughs> I was a little kid and I was excited and then I was heartbroken. And my favorite Christmas memory is when I thought I had a toy for three hours. Well, I got a Sega Genesis one year, but I feel like I was older, so it didn't feel as like magical Christmas. So wait, it's it's about the things you've gone and not like things that you've done with family members or anything like that. Mm. What? Okay, you tell me and I'll try to think of something. Okay, so my favorite thing every year, and I even catch myself getting excited for it now, even though I'm a grown adult and even though I'm not going to be seeing my cousins this Christmas, I would spend like weeks, maybe months getting excited to do commercials. So myself and my brother and my two cousins were very close. And every year, like it started from my first Christmas when I was one year old and my cousins were a little bit older, we would use the things 
that we got for Christmas because we do a big family. It's like a Polish thing or a European thing. I know Italians do it too, to celebrate on Christmas Eve on the 24th. And that's when you do all your presents and stuff. So we'd take all the stuff from our presents and we would film these commercials and we'd use like my dad's like old camcorder. And we would just make these ridiculous commercials. We thought we were hilarious comedians. When I'm a baby, like my cousins are, you know, like holding me up and moving my arms and legs and doing voices for me. And it turned into us making some pretty awesome hilarious commercials as we got older so the kids would all go in the one room make commercials for two hours while the adults drank and ate food whatever and then we'd come back out and we'd watch all the commercials on the tv together and it was like such a fun thing and we'd talk about it for months after and it's like that was my favorite thing about christmas and we that is fun that it's is so like, much yeah. fun and i was so excited because this year is the first year that Lucy being two and a half would be able to do commercials with her one cousin Elsie who is what seven so this was going to be their year to do commercials and even Betty could be in them as like the dopey baby but like that's that's gone and that makes me so sad and I find myself thinking about like what could have been or what will be next year but I love those memories so much and that's my favorite tradition and I'm so excited to get our girls into it. And like I want to be the adults drinking wine and watching the commercials and laughing at the end. You know, like it's it's just so cute and it's something I'll remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, I don't have cherish. anything like that. Just opening gifts. Opening gifts is a blast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so do we get to my topics here? Let's do it. Let's get to yours. Do you know any gifts that I've gotten you besides the one that you've asked for and had needed to help me with shipping? No, no, but I'm so excited for that. And that alone. What do you like, mean you're excited? For that gift that I know what it is. What is it again? It's okay. So it is this like off the shoulder, awesome linen dress from the sleeper and or sleeper. I don't know what their name is, but it's just like basically pajamas that you could wear as a dress and they're really fancy and it's really beautiful and like dreamy. So I am so excited for that. And every time I think of it, I get flutters in my stomach. So like it, the surprise hasn't been ruined, even though I had to help you with shipping. But you swear to me that you don't know any other gifts. Swear to you. Once when I was like, I don't know, eight, I went in, like I went looking for the gifts in my house and I went into my mom's closet. She's like, guys, don't go in the closet. That's where your Christmas gifts are. So it's like, I knew what I was getting myself into. I just didn't know the impact that it would have on me. Mm-hmm. So I creeped into our closet. I like lifted up the bags or the clothes, whatever was hiding all the, you know, the piles of presents. And I saw what I got. And I was like super excited. I was super jazzed. And I thought that that feeling was going to last until Christmas. Mm-hmm. And it didn't. Like it, it totally died down. And I had to fake surprise. I felt so guilty. And like guilt was racking my brain, honestly, knowing it's me. It's a terrible feeling. Yeah. Oh my God. I've I had probably that started crying on Christmas and with my admission like I probably admitted what I did and started bawling my eyes out but honestly like since then I have had no desire to ever ruin a gift do you know what I've gotten you no not really wait what do you mean not really well maybe airpods do you have like do you have ideas of like in general other things too because I know you've asked for airpods so whether or not I got them will still be a surprise but you did ask for them yeah so I'm assuming airpods but like you didn't like see anything or... no oh wait 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 yes I, I did. I overheard something, if I'm being honest, Uh-oh. today. Because you do a lot of 
dictation on your phone and you also do a lot of speakerphone on your phone. So today you got a call from Jesse and I've oh, got shit. I've got like crazy super hearing and you meant, You were in the back room. Babe. I know, but I have intense super hearings and you said something about a tie-dye shirt for and, the girls, not for you. Oh, it seemed like one was for me. No, no, not for you. You're it's for sure? The, it's for the girls. You swear? Babe. It's for the girls. You swear on the children's life? Get out of here. Don't make me do that on a Christmas episode. Okay. It's for the girls, okay? Okay. Well, I appreciate that because that is something I did want. So thank you for that <laughs> gift. Uh, I wanted to talk about uh, Beanie Babies. Oh, gosh. We have a toy in the house that Alex thinks is worth a lot of money. No, it's, it's not why I keep it nice, Shane. <laughs> It's Beanie Baby nice. <laughs> you had it in a plastic case for the longest time and we weren't allowed to open it. Sorry, and the tag was still on it pristine until somebody took it out of the case and then somebody took off the tag. And then somebody let Lucy start smashing it around the house, tossing it through the basketball. Hoop, it's worth throwing two it bucks. in the It's not. There's a myth that Shane, all, it's not, Pogs was the same thing. Oh, I'm going to hold my Pogs forever and one day I'm going to cash out and spend the rest of my that. life spending. It's not that. It's a sentimental value. His name's Groovy. He's tie-dye and I just like him very much. He's very adorable and I always really liked him. It was my favorite Beanie Baby. And I just like to keep it nice. Well, you can still keep it nice. Lucy can play with it. I just don't like the idea of boxing up useless items and having it. It was somewhere. on display. Yeah, I don't like having Beanie Babies on display. They're <laughs> either the toy they're room. either played with or let's throw them away. <laughs> um, Tom Cruise yelling about COVID. I wanted to see your thoughts on that because you're you believe in COVID. You trust that it's out there and it's real. Well, yeah, we are living the most Howard Hughesy life out of anybody I know because of it. So Tom Cruise was on set for a movie he's filming. And, you know, I guess somebody in the crew had violated some COVID protocol. And then he lost his ass on them. And he just he just started reaming them out. And someone recorded it and put it out there. And we were listening to it the other night. He was furious. Like, it sounded like he was going to kill somebody. So on one hand... I think, hell yeah, Tom Cruise, like stepping up, using your power and your influence to actually make sure that people are staying in line because he could very easily, and I'm sure some stars do, go the other way and be like, oh, well, because I'm a celeb, you know, my protocol can be a little more lax. I respect him for taking it so seriously. Do I respect the manner in which he proceeded with that? Definitely not. Like that was abusive. Yeah. That was abusive. And I think when you're a star like he is, like he's definitely one of the biggest stars in the world, mm -hmm. your voice is so loud even when it's quiet. Like if he was whispering and like, hey, everyone, let's do this for Hollywood. We need, we are looked at as the shining beacon. Mm -hmm. And if we screw up, it's going to be the first domino and then no Hollywood productions are going to happen anymore, which is essentially what he was screaming at the top of his mm -hmm. lungs. But totally unnecessary. Yeah. Like these, this day and age, I think borderline illegal to be treating fellow coworkers that way. But because he's Tom Cruise, I think he felt he could get away with it. And who knows? Maybe he still can. But I just thought, although what he was trying to stand up for was maybe noble. Yeah. The way he did it, like you said, w wasn't good. I, I was curious how you think about it, though, because yeah. I know you're a big COVID. No, yeah. So, <laughs> as, big, as I am. Too. I'm a big rule follower when it comes to COVID. But like. Yeah, you could have the most noble cause in the world and then go about it in a really horrible, 
abusive and harassy kind of way and it it almost negates your cause like that's a very dangerous way to conduct yourself so do you know if there was any backlash for that no i haven't i haven't followed up yeah, well, well, stay check it tuned out. for the next episode. <laughs> Follow up on Tom Cruise. <laughs> um, I wanted to bring up again our conversation about sleeping in the same room. Now, last episode we got in an argument. We had to stop the podcast. <laughs> there was tears. There were from you. Mm-hmm. Alex. I cried a little bit too because you know I cry when I see someone crying. But what's your stance on it now? Like, would you ever be open to? And I'm not trying to start a fight here, mm-hmm. but separate rooms because we talked about it on another podcast and you seem so much more open to the idea of splitting rooms. No, 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 not splitting rooms. Splitting bathrooms, yes, but not splitting bedrooms. No, because here's the thing. like I do appreciate sleeping separate right now because I think it is better for our well-being. We're getting more well-rested. But overall, you don't think it's better? No, 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 not for me. I like, and I have babe, like we have a king. If we could just learn, like, maybe I'll just try to stay on my side better. And I've heard, too, of people getting separate duvets. So when I wrote my post on sleeping separate, I had a lot of people writing in saying, oh, like, we don't do that, but we have separate blankets. And that solves all of our problems so that people can get, it's like the European style, so people get the type of blanket that they like whether they like a thick blanket a weighted blanket a sheet and a blanket and then they have their own blankets that don't get pulled off that's a cool idea yeah and i like that because then you have the comfort and security of sleeping beside somebody that you love without that bite and then i think too like if your blanket you know ends here and ends here then you're not really gonna be trying to take over the whole bed i think and like you don't snore that bad. Like that doesn't bug me. We go to bed at the same time. So it's not like, you know, we're interrupting each other's sleep like that. So I think that once the baby is sleep trained, I think that might be a great way to move forward. Okay. I'm I'm in. I'm just I'm glad that you're not upset. <laughs> <laughs> I would be upset if we had separate rooms. So like I don't want that. I just don't want that. That's not for me. Okay, but that's it for my topic. Shall we move on to our first interview with Renee Rena? Let us move on. Are you ready? deep breaths all right well renee thank you so much for joining us today and sorry about the uh glitchy intro hey hey the audience at home doesn't need to know that there was any problems everything's perfect no it was fine renee you are a psychologist you're a mom you're a creator you're a podcast host you have the mom room when somebody asks you what do you do how do you answer that when you have so many things under your belt. Yeah. Like what do I do? It's funny because I don't know if you know who Tova Lee is. I had her on my podcast recently and I asked her the same thing. And she was like, I, I don't like to try and put one label on it because you do all these things. Like I started out blogging now. Like I don't focus so much on the blog anymore. Um, I kind of use the blog to share other people's stories, Mm. which I like. Yeah. The PhD is huge, right? Like I spent 10 plus years in graduate school. It's huge dedication. Huge. And so it's like, well, it's a little odd that I'm not using that in the traditional sense, right? Yeah. TikTok in quarantine started. And then people related to the content so much that I was like, how could I like what's another platform that I could get these messages out and podcast just seemed like the thing to do at the time. Mm -hmm. And I was in quarantine. I had nothing else going on. So I started the podcast and then that kind of took off. 
And yeah, I could have started looking for a typical job, but my husband and I just decided, you know what, why don't you just keep doing what you're doing and see what happens. This is a job. And for those who don't know, the amount of hours and time that you put into creating, brainstorming, editing these videos, that is a huge dedication of time. So that is full-time work. But how did you yeah. get into blogging initially? Like what made you want to get into the parenthood world? So... I had no plans of doing that at all, obviously, until I had my son and I took the 12 month maternity leave from my PhD program. And then I found like after the maternity leave, I had so many things that I wanted to share with people because I would put out little posts here and there on Instagram and the response was like huge. And there were things that like I put out there that I thought I was the only person that experienced that. And then when I realized that so many other people were like, oh my God, me too. Like the not wanting visitors after bringing home yeah. the baby. We're the same. Yeah. <laughs> Huge. Yeah. Like I was not expecting that at all because I grew up, you know, someone in my family, a cousin or whatever would have a baby. Mm -hmm. And it was like, let's all go over and visit because that's just what you do. Right. And so yeah. when we had our son and I brought him home and I was like, holy fuck, like I don't want anybody in the house no. for weeks. No, my, I like, was like, what's wrong with me? Well, your vagina's blown out. Your nipples probably hurt. You're in a terrible mood. You're just getting used to your baby. The last thing you want is, you know, sorry to my mother-in-law, but like a mother-in-law puttering around or something like that or friends coming in. And we have so many friends yeah. who would be like, oh, so-and-so just had a baby. You haven't gone to see it yet. It's been alive for two whole weeks. And it just... That whole culture is so Yeah, we were trying to be to cons me. considerate yeah. and, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. We were like, no, we're going to stay away forever, pretty much. Like until the kid goes to, I don't know, high school <laughs> or something. Yeah. Well, and we even had, this is really weird, but we had, my uncle showed up drunk after she had given birth. In the hospital. And sat on the hospital bed for two hours. And I didn't know how to get rid of Asking it. Asking to hold the baby. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even let my mom hold the baby for several weeks. And then you get friends and they say, oh, I'm coming by tomorrow. Okay. And then they just show up. They don't even leave a time or they're late. It's like, no, you're on our schedule, bub. And, you yeah. know, they showed up with a bottle and I guess that was appreciated. But, uh, yeah, still, I totally am on board with that. I believe you talk about it in your very first podcast. You go over that issue. Yeah. And I think I had made a, a TikTok about it. First, it was yeah. like on Instagram and people were like, oh, my God, me too. I thought I was the only one. Like, But people feel guilty and they feel bad mm -hmm. saying no to people wanting to come visit. So I heard so many stories from moms about how, you know, they had really bad like postpartum anxiety or mm -hmm. depression and they didn't want people coming over, but they felt bad to say anything or stand up for themselves. And like my heart just broke because I know how I felt in those like three or four weeks after giving birth. Mm -hmm. And luckily, like I was able to just stand my ground and say, no, I don't want people coming over. But I felt so bad that, you know, they had people in and out of their house and they felt that way. So, yeah, then I think I made a TikTok about it and, you know, TikTok, um, <laughs> like the comments that were on that video, you could see the, the divide where, you know, there's people who felt the exact same way and kind of have the same 
viewpoint as me. But then there was people that were writing things like, oh, relax, you just had a baby. Like you weren't in some like major car accident or like just complete disrespect. You kind for, of are. Like, You're not getting hit like this, like you would in a car accident. But I don't know what the force is. I don't know the actual scientific stuff, but that's a lot of baby coming out of your vagina. A lot of bones moving. It's like being in a car accident and then someone hands you a baby. Yeah, no, it's worse than a car accident, actually. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Like, <laughs> is, it, is it like 16-year-olds though saying this stuff on TikTok? Because I know that TikTok has such a younger user base, right? So I think that a lot of people that make comments like that are people who they were never given respect in the postpartum period and they had to put up with a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. and they were miserable and, you know, didn't have anyone to like speak up for them and so that's just their kind of defense mechanism Mm -hmm. like they see someone like me who's talking about these things openly and confidently and they don't like that Mm -hmm. i think so you have hundreds of thousands of followers on tiktok and i got the impression that maybe beforehand you thought you would never go on tiktok i think i saw some writing about it and then all of a sudden before you knew it you were on it when did it turn from like a, a fun thing where you got popular to receiving the trolls that everyone who's popular inevitably gets oh you know what i think it was instant because i do mom content Mm -hmm. and that is just you know like one of the topics that you emailed me about was like hot hot topics right in parenting and unfortunately that's almost every topic that you want to talk about so it started off people really related and I was in quarantine with my toddler and my husband was still working his regular job. So that was difficult. And I would make funny TikToks about things that everybody was going through, but kind of put hard things in a, a funny mm. video. Yeah. And so people loved that. And then quarantine ended. Well, you guys are near me. So mm. quarantine ended. And then my son went back to daycare and it was like, oh, like, she's putting her son in daycare even though she's at home and you know then it's like so it's like you please people sometimes and then you you know make them upset other times but at the end of the day you just have to do what works for your family so Mm -hmm. i think there's always people that agree or disagree with things that that i TikTok about Mm -hmm. i find i acknowledge every troll I feel like I shouldn't do that, but I'm like, I'll like, oh, do a podcast. I'll comment on every single one because I feel like I have to clear it out of my brain. How do you handle that? So do you guys have TikTok? For a little bit. We, we had one video where we showed like our placenta and that might have gotten it like 20,000. Well, it killed like some things where I, I think I put up like six videos. A couple of them killed. And then I put up one that got like 400 views and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it. Like She's like, I'm, I'm a done. failure. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> So yeah, it wasn't like you where you you really uh, became successful very, very fast. What do you think the the secret sauce is there? So, okay, first about the troll thing, I was just, I was asking if you guys use TikTok because the greatest feature ever that I wish every social media platform had is the video reply. So I don't know if you've seen that, but like, that sounds you can video reply to somebody's comment on your TikTok and it shows their comment and their username in the TikTok. Wow. So that is like my favorite thing on earth. And it makes me feel so good when, you know, someone says something totally like trying to shame me or whatever it is. And then you can just, oh yeah, video reply. (laughs) Like, and and I have a bunch of followers. (laughs) So the whole public can see your reply. Yeah. That's amazing. And those are honestly like those TikToks do so well Mm -hmm. because people are like, yeah, like, you know. 
and then oftentimes the person goes back and they delete their comment. Of and, course. But I still have the video reply. It's like, it's the Chrissy Teigen model. You know, you acknowledge the criticism, you attack the critics if they're being unfair. And then everybody loves mm-hmm. it because it's like, you know, you get to stand back from a reality show taking place in front of you. It's fun. But what video yeah. did you make that had the most criticism, do you think? Like, what topic? Um, so this was really early on. I made a TikTok that was about my son gets, like, a unibrow. And I have this little... It's like an electric little thing that they make for women, like for Mm -hmm. eyebrows. And it's totally painless. Like he laughs and says, tickle, tickle, tickle. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I didn't, I didn't want him to have a unibrow. Like, (laughs) sorry, that's just me. So I made this TikTok. I was like, why am I uncomfortable sharing that I fix his unibrow to people? Mm -hmm. And it's because people would be like, oh my God, like, why would you do that to your baby? But then I was sitting there and I was like, People can get their little girl's ears pierced and that's fine. People get their sons circumcised. Why isn't anyone up in arms about that? Like, but I can't tickle my son between his eyebrows because I don't like his unibrow. (laughs) And so anyways, I made a TikTok that was kind of like that, like me saying that I fix his unibrow and then getting shame for it. And then that person I'm saying like, oh, why? Like, where are you going? And then they're like, I'm going to get her ears pierced and and like so-and-so circumcised. And I was like, you know, so yeah, people had a lot to say about that. Some people were like, yeah, man, I wish my mom fixed my unibrow when I was little. And then other people were like, why would you do that to a baby? Like you're altering his, like all babies are beautiful. And like, la, la, la. it's like, that's just my choice. Like, I don't like a unibrow. Sorry. I don't let my husband have his unibrow. So why would I let my toddler? I didn't start. I was lucky. I guess I didn't start getting a unibrow till I was like 13, but that was the first thing yeah. to go. You know, there's only yeah, there one person I know who embraces the unibrow. Maybe Frida? two, I guess Frida and uh, Anthony Davis, the basketball oh, yeah, player. Oh yeah, the basketball yeah, player. You're Great an NBA time. fan, yeah. Speaking of hot button topics, I wanted to talk about hierarchy in a family. This seems mm-hmm. to get people going. Who's the most important in your family? Is it your husband or is everyone on the same level? Like between my husband and I? No. Like- yeah, well, you know how people will say, oh, like- uh, Kids first. My, or husband first. Or maybe everybody's on the mm, first. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I would say that we are like the biggest thing between my husband and I is like we have so much respect for one another and we talk about things openly and, you know, we joke about things all the time. But we are like a team when it comes to taking care of our son. And it's been like that since day one. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister-in-law is a photographer and she came to the house when Milo was like three months old and she did a photo shoot with us. And she was like, you guys are hilarious. Like you actually do everything together. Like yeah. we will change his diaper together. Like we're like a little <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like a team. And so I would say like our relationship is important, but I think both of us are like a good team and our Mm -hmm. focus is taking care of Milo, but then also just like making our households fun and a happy place. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I never thought about that, like who comes first, but I would say like, we're kind of more of a unit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, I think Alex and I are a pretty good team, but I do think Alex comes first to me. Mm -hmm. I I do have like, to me, the marriage is the most important thing. And I guess if that is in order, everything else will fall into place. Yeah, that makes sense. And it's, it's interesting because, you know, you talk about you guys moving as a unit, 
right? And we talk about marriage being happy. And like for us, that's when everything else just comes so naturally. And, you know, that good partnership, that happy parenting, making the household fun. And when you're moving in a unit like this, people are assuming that you do absolutely everything together and that you function as a very traditional family. But you spoke recently about something that was super hot button that Shane and I have since started to do. And that is sleeping in separate oh. beds. And <laughs> I I really... Well, we're doing a hybrid yeah, of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I need to fall asleep with somebody or I get really lonely. And I actually, I get really bad anxiety and I can't sleep if somebody's not beside me. But then I go up to our bedroom in the middle of the night and then he stays downstairs in the guest bedroom. But when you function as a unit and then sleep separately, like how does that work into your being happier as a couple ethos yeah the sleeping separately like i just did a whole podcast episode about this because that's another thing where i was like i felt awkward i didn't like telling people that we didn't sleep in the same bed most of the time because you know what people are gonna think like oh my god they're not having sex we're unhappy um we're just basically roommates living in the same house and it's that's not the case at all so finally i was like "Fuck it i'm just gonna talk about this and again turns out so many people are like oh my god us two us two us one in four and yeah Mm -hmm. and it just it just works like we hang out from the moment milo goes to bed at 7 p.m like my husband and i are hanging out until like 10 p.m let's say And then I go upstairs, I have alone time, I watch my reality TV shows, and then I go to bed. And he sleeps, now he sleeps better without me as well, before he didn't really care, because I will wake him up and be like, you're breathing heavy. Um, And then he gets frustrated because I keep waking him up, but I can't fall asleep. I have become such a high maintenance sleeper since having a baby. Like, unbelievable. I need everything to be perfect. And if he's heavy breathing beside me, I am just ruminating about that like Mm -hmm. over and over and I'm not able to fall asleep. Makes you hate the person almost. Oh, so irritating. And so, yeah, we just, again, our, one of our dogs, when I was pregnant, got diagnosed with diabetes. So now he gets up often overnight to go pee and our dog slept with us. And so that was another thing that was waking me up. So then my husband would start to sleep with that dog. Oh my God. Like just so many things. And I was like, fuck it. Like not sleeping together at this stage in our relationship is fine. Like we're both getting really good sleep and it's working for us. Mm-hmm. So your husband sleeps with the dog, but not you. <laughs> and in the do- he's not bo- he's not bothered by the dog at all. No, my husband, like being a physician, he is used to being called in the middle of the night. Right. He could be in a dead sleep, called, like do something super important on the phone, go into the hospital, come back, and be like right back asleep instantly. I am the complete opposite. Yeah, Alex was looking yeah. it up. You inspired us. So we mm. talked about it on our last podcast because it, it's huge issue for Alex. Like she, we had to actually stop the podcast. Things <laughs> things got so heated. I got, my eyes got, Shane, I don't know if he made a joke or if he's being serious, but he was like separate bedrooms, that's it. And she started crying. Yeah, because so, I, I need that. I need that like really hard. I need that like connection before I fall asleep. And I need to know. Is that, that your love language? Said. Touch 100%. Like it's like all in touch. Definitely not mine. Cause I was thinking about that too. Like some people have the opposite view like you, Mm -hmm. like it's difficult. Like I I want to be sleeping next to my partner Mm -hmm. and I was like, fuck, I don't have that. But my love language is not 
touch, like massage. Mm. Like, yes, I would like lots of massages. <laughs> yeah, me too. Because yours is yours is acts of kindness, right? That's your language. Acts of service yes, and probably me. like affirmations, like talking. Yeah, I like yeah. those too. See, because for her, sex is all tied up into mm. love. So it's, it's mm. so important for her. Mm. And for me, it's just about feeling good. Like just the physical act of like, oh, this feels good. Like I'm if we don't have sex, I'm not like, she doesn't love me. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but she thinks that like it means we don't love each other. No, I'm not saying one's right or wrong. Hey, I'm just explaining her. And you know. it feels good. And I like to be feeling good all yeah, the time everything. if possible. Your way is probably better, Alex. I'm, I'm all just the time. Saying. Yeah. Uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, no. Did, did I say the fact that like 50% of all sleep issues, like that's what I wanted to say. Well, that you didn't say that yet. She researched, that's my whole point, was going to say so many sleep issues are just the mm-hmm. result of having somebody next to you. And I have terrible mm-hmm. insomnia as it is. Mm-hmm. So when she's gone and I'm one of those people, I, I shift my position constantly to get comfy. I, I feel no anxiety about turning over and being like, mm, oh, no, mm-hmm. this is my side. Like, it's like I forget which side I sleep on. And honestly, I'm getting yeah. uh, when I go up in the middle of the night, the rest of my night, I feel like amazing. Like, it's been. Yeah, this hybrid sleeping. way, I do think is the best way. It's out. It's by design to help our mm-hmm. youngest daughter, Betty, sleep train. Mm-hmm. That's what I understand. So do you like I was looking it up, too, and it, people call it a sleep divorce. What's your take? <laughs> that's harsh. Right? No, but that's the thing. People call it a sleep divorce because they make yeah. all these assumptions about the person's relationship when you talk about this. And oh, like, what's, yeah, okay. what's your take on that, calling it a sleep divorce? Like, is that total bullshit? Yeah, it might need or, to be like, rebranded. Yeah, I feel like that's very, like, definite. Like, yeah. we will never sleep again, you know? Like, this is it. Like, we are never sleeping again. Sleep together, separation's but... probably the more accurate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, we'll see what happens. But if you keep heavy breathing, fuck no. But we'll see what happens. Mm. But right now, with the way things are going right now, I prefer to sleep separate most nights. Mm -hmm. Like on the weekend, we'll stay up late. Like we'll hang out downstairs. But during the week, he goes to bed way later than me. So Because I was researching this as well. And a huge issue with a lot of partners is that one goes to bed earlier or later and then Mm. one wakes up earlier or later Mm. and that's us like he goes to bed way later than me so if i'm upstairs i've already fallen asleep and i'm at that like good spot of my sleep and then he comes in and gets into bed and wakes me up Mm. like murder yeah so it like it just doesn't work our our sleep patterns just don't they they would only (laughs) align if you were maybe drunk and both staying up late (laughs) And then went to bed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So I want want both of your take, actually. So, you know, regarding the whole people looking at it as you're having a sexless marriage type thing, I've also read that it can actually make sex more intentional and kind of reignite that side of your relationship. I don't know how long you've been sleeping separately for, but do you find that it makes you more intentional about intimacy? Probably. Like, I feel like if I want to have sex, like, I know that I want to have sex and I will just like weasel my way in there somehow. (laughs) And like, it it doesn't have to be, you know, at the moment where we are falling asleep or Mm -hmm. in our bed to Mm -hmm. sleep. Like I, especially now after having Milo, I feel like that's the least likely time that we would have sex because by the evening I'm tired Mm -hmm. and I just want to, you know, watch my reality TV shows and go to bed. And then in the morning, 
I am not like a morning person like my husband. Like he wakes up and he's ready to go. I am not like that. I, I just want to have my coffee. Don't talk to me for 27 minutes <laughs> and then maybe. But yeah, I feel like nap time on the weekend when Milo is napping, mm -hmm. like that's a good time, time to have sex. But yeah, do we have less sex now that we have a toddler? For sure. Mm -hmm. But it's not because we're not sleeping in the same bed. Mm -hmm. It's because we have a toddler. Yeah. And what is the best way to approach sex? For me, I actually like notice, as unromantic as that may sound or unspontaneous <laughs> or unsexy. But I guess I feel unconfident if I'm not showered you know, so if she's just like, let's do it. I'm like, oh, my breath is horrible. I'm kind of embarrassed. Oh, and what if I'm smelly? For, for you, what, what's the best way to go about it? See, I don't think I care so much about that, but my husband is probably like you. Like, mm -hmm. I, I bet you he would think about that kind of stuff. Like, I feel as a man, I'm inherently dirtier than a woman. So I'm like, oh, I yeah, better, I, I gotta be, I gotta get to her level. Even if she's unshowered, I have to be showered. <laughs> Because her unshowered is probably cleaner than me showered, you know. <laughs> <laughs> ah, dirty men. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like for me, I, well, maybe I already have in the mindset that I want sex. So maybe I like get ready for it. Mm -hmm. And so I am, I make sure uh -huh. that I have showered and stuff. And then I just, he knows instantly as soon as, as soon as I want to have sex, because he's, as soon as I like cuddle up to him or like start rubbing him, he's like, oh. <laughs> So he never rejects you when it comes to that. Because I know that's another thing that's a little bit tricky to do and very detrimental for a partner when they are rejected. Mm. That can be very hurtful. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, sometimes he does, but he doesn't do it intentionally. Like right. Milo will be napping and I'll be upstairs and I'll like shower or something. And then I'll text him and be like, do you want to come cuddle upstairs? And then he'll be like, well, I just, I'm feeding the dogs or something. And then I'll be like... Mm -hmm. And then the next time that he wants it, I'll be like, remember that time I texted you and I was upstairs and you Revenge. said no? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I saw a meme the other day and it was like this husband put together a spreadsheet of all the times his wife rejected him that month and her reasoning. And it was like three out of four times was didn't shower, felt gross. And I was like, I could do this about you. Didn't shower, feel gross. And it's just like, you know, I feel like... Well, I make it clear. Give me notice and you will never get rejected. Well, I like rejected. spontaneity sometimes. That's what keeps sex sexy. I know, but if it's after 11, then all of a sudden you don't like it. No, after 11 is too, too late. Too late. Is after 11 too late for you? <laughs> I think unless there's drinking. Oh my God, I, yeah. I'm literally already sleeping by 11, so... But if we're drunk, I feel like then there's no rules because it's like, oh, not not like hammered, you know, but uh, five drinks, four drinks. Well, and then um, you're not getting up at one, four and six and seven to feed a baby. That's true. So you're right. Oh. You win. You win the debate. Yeah. yeah ooh. So, <laughs> but I, I, <laughs> You win. I do want to talk about date nights, though, and especially during quarantine. What does a date night look for you? How do you describe that? Oh, my God. It used to be like go for dinner, go to the movies. We love going to comedy clubs. Um, we loved going to Raptors games. Like we're 45 minutes from downtown. So mm -hmm. that is like, usually like my mom would come stay at our house with Milo and then we would go downtown for a night. So fun. But yeah, now with COVID, we like, we don't have family nearby here. Mm -hmm. So 
we haven't really had a date night in so long but i mean we hang out at the house but we should probably plan things i was I forget what I was reading, but someone was saying they plan date nights in the house mm-hmm. with their spouse. So they take turns planning the date night. Okay. And I was like, that is so neat. Like they, like you know, set up everything to bake cookies or like play this game. And we should really do that so that we're not just like putting on Netflix or. Yeah, I like that. So you don't even have a, a date night in all of quarantine. No, not like a one where you go mm-hmm. out. No, no, no. What I mean is our version of a date night. And this isn't even like me planning to bake cookies. It's just, oh, we're definitely going to open a bottle of wine. We're definitely going to mm. order a very nice Uber mm-hmm. Eats meal. Like last week we ordered like from this super fancy restaurant. It costs like a hundred bucks, even with a 30% off Uber discount. <laughs> I guess those fees, they add up. Uh, anyway, side point. But uh, we just do something totally out of the ordinary. And it, there's always hanky panky on the date night. Mm-hmm. It's like a guaranteed mm-hmm. night to, you know, get freaky. Get frisky. Yeah. Frisky. Yes. Different F words. Lots y- of F words. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't do that. No, we should though. Mm-hmm. I'm inspired. Um, I'm going to make notes, but That's like good. we will like, have a bottle of wine and put on like a comedy special or something, but not with the intention of like, this is date night. We're mm-hmm. going to have sex. And I like having that intention to it because it's, it's more fun. Yeah. yeah I'm going to start doing that now. I'm honored. I've never inspired anyone <laughs> before. So you saying that really, <laughs> that really impacts me right now. I'm very inspirational. <laughs> I'm going to put music behind that when I'm t- talking about date nights. You should. Uh, Renee, what is your take on equality in parenting? I recently read, it was a woman named Ellen Galinsky, and she was saying that equality in parenting is a myth. And I find that as we, you know, every year it's like dads are doing way more than they ever have in history. And they're way more involved in kids' lives and kids' upbringings and in like the day-to-day mundane tasks. I'm just curious because Ellen Galinsky, this woman, she like works for Work and Family Center in New York. And she was saying that it's a myth and that is just going to fuck up your expectations basically and then cause problems between you and your spouse. And I think that this is interesting. I think people have different takes on this. But I was curious about what yours is and if you think there is true equality in parenting. Okay, so when it comes to physical tasks, and it's it's hard because Milo was young during quarantine and I feel like quarantine like fucked me up. Like it mm-hmm. because it, it wasn't equal because I was stuck at home and my husband had his regular job, he wasn't affected by it like I was. But if I just think like overall in general, I physically like changing diapers, doing this, doing that, like doing like bath time, bedtime, making dinners. My husband and I, we do the same amount Mm -hmm. uh, for sure. But I think it's more the emotional stuff that women carry that men do not experience for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. like the guilt, the feelings of guilt, the uh, in quarantine, I wrote a blog and I think I have a podcast episode about it, about being the default parent and what that means and why that is such a burden on like, well, it was for me. And I, until I explained it to my husband, he would have no idea that I felt that way. But what was happening was on the weekends, we would wake up, you know, get Milo up, make breakfast. And then my husband would just like go about his day, like as he normally would, like washing the dishes, taking the garbage out, like be bopping around the house doing his stuff. And then so the whole time I feel stuck to Milo mm-hmm. because he's just like, you know, out and about, like casually just going about his yeah. day. 
And so I was like, why am I the person that has to be, oh, um, I'm going to go up and have a shower. Okay. Like, can you just watch Milo? And he's like, sure, no problem. Like, you don't have to ask, like, just go. And I'm like, no, I do. I do have to say that because otherwise you won't know that I am leaving. And now I'm not there to be looking after Milo, especially during that age where they hurt themselves all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I had to explain that to my husband. Like, and it, it was awkward because he was like, so you don't want me to do the dishes and take the garbage out? And I was like, no, I do, but not right now. <laughs> yeah. Because right now it's Saturday morning. I've been with Milo all week stuck at home. And I just want to feel like I have like freedom to go and do stuff around the house that I want to do. So yeah, I agree with what she's saying, but I think it's for me anyways, it's more so like the emotional and Mm -hmm. the feeling guilt over things. Like my husband would never even think those thoughts. And then Mm -hmm. there's me like stewing about, you know, feeling guilty over Milo playing independently for an hour while we, you know, make dinner or something. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would agree. And the expectations, I love expectations because that was another huge thing that I learned in quarantine was... I had these massive expectations of that, like my life was just going to change and be so much better as soon as my husband came home from work. And it was like, no, it's the same shit. There's just another adult here now. So yeah, you're not as lonely and you have an adult to talk to and stuff like that, but nothing is really changing. And so Mm -hmm. I had to, because I was like, why am I grumpy when my husband gets home from work or on the weekends? Like, why am I grumpy? like nothing bad is going on. And it was because I had these expectations that everything was going to be so different just because he was home from work. Mm -hmm. And so once I realized that, then I was able to just not be a friggin' grump on the weekends. (laughs) (laughs) If we were to talk to your husband right now, do you think he would look at you having a PhD in psychology as a massive advantage or is he like, ah, stop it with this psychoanalysis? Um, no, I think it's probably an advantage for us because like I'm able to like interpret things mm-hmm. and like you know like why do I feel this way and then I'm able to talk to him about that and like oh when you do that it makes me feel this way yeah like the other day this is a perfect example which someone else might just not say anything and then be resentful and it would start a fight and whatever the other day we were doing bedtime with Milo and I was sitting on the bed with Milo brushing his hair or something And my husband went to go put his milk next to the the nightstand beside us and he coughed and it like went in our faces. And I was like, can you not cough in our face? Like I said something like that. And my husband got defensive and said like, okay, like I'll just go downstairs. You know, like it was just a stupid situation. And I didn't say anything. And I was like, okay. So like that was his defensive response to me because he felt uncomfortable. Like he knew that he shouldn't have done that, Mm -hmm. but I called him out on it in probably not the best way. And so his response is like, fine, then I'll just go downstairs. And anyways, he ended up not going downstairs and then just sitting next to us. And I was like, can I say something? And he was like, okay, sure, what? Do you realize how you responded in that situation? And he was like, what? And he's like, how did I respond? Well, I said, can you not cough in our face? And you were like pouty about it and snapped that you were going to go downstairs Mm -hmm. instead. Like, why can't you just say, oh, geez, I'm sorry. Like I, you know, I I didn't even realize I was so close to you or something. And then, then it was done and over with. And he was like, okay, I'm sorry. Like I shouldn't have acted that way. And then it was done and over. But like, if I didn't say that, I would have been like, "Mm -hmm." (laughs) annoyed. 
Well, I was, I was listening to your podcast and you were talking about how everyone has a different defense mechanism style. It's almost like love languages, but the negative version of that. What is your style versus your husband? Mine is humor, a hundred percent. Sometimes, like I would say before years ago, it would have been like, you know, when people give people the silent treatment yeah. or they don't say something. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So I think so, like that's, that's being passive aggressive and that's not a healthy defense mm-hmm. mechanism. Humor is, is high up on the list for being healthy. But I would say like, sometimes I will use like silence or not like I'll shut down, but then like hours later or whenever, like I will bring it up. But I think sometimes my initial response is just to shut down. Mm-hmm. And my husband's would probably be humor for sure. And then probably the same kind of thing Mm-hmm. he's not as much of a talker as I am. So I think he probably like doesn't, I always ask him like, what are things that I do that piss you off? Like, just tell me like what, you know, cause I say, I say it to him and I'll talk about these things, but he never really says things. So I always try and get it out of him. So he probably just like holds things in and doesn't, mm-hmm. uh, doesn't, you know, talk about issues. Well, I guess say, so I'm, I'm similar to that where I have a hard time saying what's bothering me because I don't want to rock the boat, which in turn rocks the boat and it doesn't work out for anybody. You're very passive aggressive. Yesterday, Shane was like, why don't you write down Mm -hmm. all the things that are pissing you off? Because not even for you to make Mm -hmm. you feel better, but for me, because I need to know so that we can talk about these things. Well, well, because she came down and she acted like nothing was wrong. I don't know why I'm in a bad mood. And I'm like, okay, I know this is like, I'm pissing her off in some way. She's like, no, no, I don't know. I'm like, how about you write down what's on your mind? Turns out all the reasons are because I'm a, an asshole. So. <laughs> but the thing is, it, it was great because then it helped Shane and I talk about those things. And then for me, yeah. it was just, it was cathartic to write down and then say to actually, because sometimes I find that it is hard to pinpoint what's pissing me off because I can kind of weave in and out of feeling down. So it was cathartic to sit there and say, oh, yes, these are the reasons. So now we can like kind of tackle one by one. And that was so helpful. And I, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I found that very therapeutic. Is that a good move? Like I'm no psychology major that here. That is good. And a lot of the times, like you were saying, I don't know why I feel this way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I need to sit and actually think, okay, like what just played out? What could he have done differently that would make me feel better about it? Is this just something that sucks? Mm-hmm. And it's not something that can really you know, change. Yeah. Like a lot of the times it's, it's not like, Oh, I'm in a bad mood or I'm pissed off. And I know exactly why, like, no, you need to figure it out sometimes and think and reflect like on mm-hmm. what's going on. And you know, all of this takes work. And I think that one misconception I hear about marriage or from friends that are single and, you know, having trouble finding somebody that they want to tolerate. It's that, <laughs> you know, relationships when you're married shouldn't be work or they shouldn't ever feel like work and I think that's a misconception but how do you view that and as a psychologist really I would say for sure it's work whenever I hear about people for example therapy like we don't go to therapy but Mm -hmm. you know given the chance or if we like made the plans to go I would be like yeah let's go because I think people think about therapy and about communicating because therapy is basically just teaching you to communicate Mm -hmm. like at the end of the day and like resolve if there's major issues to resolve issues but you don't need to have major problems to go to therapy like it's almost a preventative thing right to just keep 
you know, your relationship strong, especially like after you have kids, like things change so much and the dynamic of a relationship changes like huge. So just to have a third party that's not involved uh, in either person's life outside of the therapy is so beneficial. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, I want to go to therapy. Like that would be, it's so expensive, unfortunately. Yeah. I feel like the therapy would make me want to see a therapist, as weird as that sounds, because I feel like it would bring up a lot of other problems. The finances would drive me nuts. And then and then finding I would, a babysitter and the time to go as a as a parent, like we have a five month old and a, a two and a half year old. And I just feel like that finding that extra hour, I feel like it would be better for me to just work out for that hour. And then that in, in some way is a therapy in itself. That's just for me. Other people I'm saying it's good for. <laughs> Not, try it out <laughs> try a therapy <laughs> all right yeah fine i will did, did you not ever go with an ex-girlfriend i thought you did that was go like couples therapy and we thought it was covered and then we got out there and she was like hey where's my 200 bucks we were like this isn't cuff- covered and then that girlfriend started crying and then they didn't charge us <laughs> and i felt very guilty oh i'm like oh my god they just like charitied us money and she didn't have a job and i didn't have any money either so we were really uh, thankful if that therapist is listening to our podcast thank you for giving us that well, uh, clearly it didn't work too well because you guys did break up no, that that's why maybe I have a bad relationship. I'm like almost the therapy caused another layer of problem because I was so embarrassed. Um, <laughs> but well, let's talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to talk about, and you just touched on it, uh, the difference between before your uh, you have children and and afterward. Do you think we kind of grow as parents to enjoy this lifestyle, or is there any part of you that's like, oh, I wish I could run off and just go to a comedy club on some idle Tuesday night? Because for me, I feel like I'm fine with this new life and almost prefer it. I like I'm a homebody. So I definitely like, of course, in my 20s, you're going out all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I lived in Ottawa, like right downtown. It was fun. I was in school. So, yeah, that was super fun. But right now, even just the thought of going to a bar and seeing a lineup to get into the bar, like makes me cringe, Mm -hmm. like no, I just want to go home and watch a movie. I think like in your 20s, you, you're if you're single or you have your boyfriend at the time, mm-hmm. like you want to go out and interact with other people and, you know, you're in that mm-hmm. mindset. But now it's like, no, I found my person. I have mm-hmm. my person. So I don't really have an interest in going For to a club and having to scream at people and not, you know, like, no, I want to sit, a, I want to have candies and I want to watch documentaries on Netflix. And like, that's more so what I'm into. So the lifestyle of being a mom mm-hmm. is definitely like suits me for sure. Growing up, I always thought I wanted to be a stay at home mom. Like my mom was a stay at home mom. And I like, that was goals for me. I don't know why I did a PhD, but like that was goals <laughs> to be a stay at home mom. And then after having Milo and doing the 12 month maternity leave, staying home, I was like, and then quarantine, mm-hmm. I was like, nope, Nope, can't do it. Like I, this is actually the worst. And that's for me. Like that's for me. Like other people have to work. They don't Mm -hmm. have a choice and they want to stay home. Like they wish they could stay home with their kids. Like, you know, everyone has their own thoughts about that and feelings. And yeah, so I thought I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Turns out no. So yeah, Milo's in daycare. 
like our life right now is good. Like the, the COVID stuff sucks. And I Mm -hmm. feel like it's kind of like, it takes a toll, like just not being able to live your usual life that you Mm -hmm. would like going to yoga, going Mm -hmm. shopping and not like wearing a mask and feeling awkward being close to people. And like that takes a toll like day to day. But yeah, I would say the mom life definitely like, I'm okay with it. I don't, Mm -hmm. You know what I miss? I miss living in a condo like downtown. In Ottawa, I lived in condos downtown on, you know, like Elgin Street. You could just walk everywhere. Now we're more rural, Mm -hmm. like in a suburb. And I'm like, I miss like living in a condo. That's what I miss. Well, being close to the restaurants is nice because I find when you're married, going out to dinner is probably the best thing you can do. And a comedy club too, like you were saying. It's just so fun. All of our best date nights have been at comedy shows. Dinner comedy combo. Yeah. We didn't even know we liked stand-up, but we do (laughs) apparently. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, attachment issues and uh, because you are, you you know, this is a fun episode, but it's also we have an expert on our hands here. I'm not though. It makes me so, okay, let's go. I know I am an expert. (laughs) Maybe you're not. All right. Put on that hat. Um, I'm worried that Alex is too attached to me and I'm worried that I'm too attached to Alex. So is that a bad thing? So like you're codependent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, and is that a really bad thing or is there some good way to be codependent? I don't know. Like if it's, if it's not like affecting your, your life and how you function, I wouldn't, and you have like a happy marriage, happy mm-hmm. relationship. I, mm-hmm. Maybe you're just like introverted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm for sure introverted. But what's odd is she's super extroverted. Yeah. But yeah, hmm. and I guess because now I thought when we first got together, I thought she'd be going out all the time because she's such a people person. But then she was just like, nope. And then I was like, oh, like I thought I would use the time when she's out where I would go out. Mm-hmm. But now we just never go out. And I was just because I, I well, again, COVID. yeah, yeah, COVID. But I mean, even before yeah. before that, and then I was listening to you talking about attachment issues. Yeah. So attachment, what I'm trained in for attachment is more so like your attachment style. So mm. it's not necessarily like an attachment to okay. a person. It's your style. So there's people that are like anxiously attached. There's people that have avoidant uh, attachment or secure I would guess you guys are both secure. What does that mean? (laughs) Yeah, get into those. Secure just means, like, if you think about, I don't know if you guys guys are familiar with the studies they used to do with children. That was, like, the strange situation. Don't know. And so there's, like, a stranger and the toddler. It's, like, how your child reacts when you leave them and then when you come back in the room. So, you know, if, if the child has a secure attachment to their parent, then they're upset when the parent leaves them. But then they, like, regulate themselves and they're fine. And then when the parent comes back they're happy and they go towards their parent so uh, other scenarios are like they never regulate themselves and they're just a disaster when the parent leaves and then some kids when the parent comes back they are um they cry instead Mm -hmm. of like being happy that the parent comes back it's all anyways it's like this huge area of research so my my thing about attachment is looking at adults attachment and based on their relationship with their parents when they were younger okay so i would do like a long structured interview with people and then i code it to figure out what their attachment style mm. is and then we look at that attachment style and how they do in therapy 
And it was oh, always people with eating disorders. Like my, wow. I think people see that, that someone has a PhD in psychology and they're like, oh, they know everything about psychology. But like a PhD is like this very specific, specific area mm-hmm. of psychology. So that, mm-hmm. that was just part of my training. Yeah. Um, See, I disagree. I feel like you do know everything somehow. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't. And the funny thing is like, I haven't talked about attachment in like years, like years, years, years. And I love the topic of attachment, especially romantic, uh, like attachment with partners, Mm -hmm. but I'm definitely not like an expert, but that's a good idea for a podcast actually is to get someone who's an expert in romantic attachment because it's fascinating. Okay. If you like, need somebody to psychoanalyze us, I'm sure they'll find oh, lots yeah, of yeah. stuff. <laughs> I'm very flattered by anyone who wants to psycho- psychoanalyze me. So if so, if I was a kid and my mom was always like, like let's say hypothetically speaking, she was always going to a bar that was across the street, and I was always terrified when she was at the bar. What I would have an unhealthy attachment. So attachment is built in infancy and childhood mm-hmm. based on how you respond to their needs. Okay. So. You know, like it's uh, when they cry, like you go to them, they're hungry, you feed them. Um, And then as they grow into older children, like their needs are different, right? So it's, are you meeting their needs? And, or like, are you neglecting their needs or are you only meeting them sometimes? And so they're unsure of whether or not their needs are going to be met. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of how it's built. So yeah, if your mom was at the bar across the street and not meeting your needs, then you, you might be upset about that. Okay. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> so Who knows? Think, think about that, like meeting needs and not meeting needs with Lucy, our oldest daughter, I did like a version of cry it out for her to sleep and it worked amazingly. And mm-hmm. has that impacted your parenting? Like, will you let your kid cry at nighttime or no, or How's that, you know, changed how you might do things? So, okay, with sleep training, I, and I always say like when moms, I, I talk about moms, but parents, when moms look at what another mom is doing or what choices they've made, they're coming at it from their experience, yeah. right? So it's very easy for someone to judge someone else and what they're doing because it's like, well, I didn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Well, my mom did this with me well, I took a class about this and this is what they said. So it's very egocentric. Like, you know, like, oh, my friend is doing sleep training, but I'm so against it. Like, how could you blah, blah, blah. So I knew going into having a baby that I would be very biased because I am trained in attachment. Um, And if you look at the research, all these things with like parenting and all these hot topics, like the research is never this is the right way and the data like is supporting this. And so this is right. And that's wrong. No, there's no answers. Like nobody knows what the fuck's going on. So it's difficult when you look at someone and you look at it with your ego, as opposed to trying to understand what their situation is. So for me in sleep training, I knew that I wouldn't be comfortable sleep training. We tried it a couple of times, couldn't do it. I was like, okay, we just decided one night we're not doing it. And then when he was 11 months old, we, he was still getting up like two to four times a night. Mm -hmm. And we were like, okay, let's try it again. And I had a friend who was texting me through it and she was super supportive. And she was like, just let him cry. Like he's Mm -hmm. still going to love you in the morning. And in two nights, he's going to be sleeping through the night. And I was like, okay, fine. So we did it at 11 months and he's been sleeping amazing ever since. So you, I would never tell somebody like, don't sleep train. It doesn't work. No, it works fucking amazing. But I, I remember my friends when he was like 
four months old, my friend sleep trained her son and he was sleeping through the night at like five months old or something. And I remember thinking like, fuck, I wish I didn't have this bias in me and Mm -hmm. like these feelings when he was crying because I want him to sleep through the night. (laughs) But yeah, I think the sleep training thing is obviously a huge raging topic when it comes to parents, but it's important to understand that not everyone feels the same way that you feel. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going through the same struggles. Not everyone has the same experience, uh, you know, knows people who did it this way and this worked. Like we're all so different and what works for one family is not going to work for another family. Mm. So, yeah. yeah. I I just, before you, I, I think it's important to note too that, you know, you can't compare somebody to yourself, whether it's your parenting style, your relationship, your personal growth. And when we do, and I think when people get upset over somebody else's parenting choice, it's because we feel like it's it's an affront to what we've done. It's an affront to what we've known. And it's like a personal attack on our own beliefs when it's not, it's not at all. And like you said, like, it's just, it's your own bias based on your own experience. True that. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, Renee, we're just going to take a quick break to let everyone know that we are supported by We are supported by Seedlip, the world's first distilled non-alcoholic spirit. First and best. First and best, we will stand by it because Seedlip is crafted without alcohol, sugar, or calories and solves the dilemma of what to drink when you're not drinking. And nothing feels better for me, at least, when I'm drinking a nice cocktail and I know I'm going to have no repercussions the next day. And it feels so great to know that if you're not drinking, you don't have to stick with water, sodas, or sugary mocktails, but you can actually skip the booze without feeling left out when it comes to your social life because Seedlip cocktails are quite elegant. I feel like James Bond when I'm drinking these drinks. And whether you prefer punchy citrus flavors, aromatic spices, or savory herbs, Seedlip offers a drink for every type of drinker. It's crafted using a bespoke process, including traditional copper distillation of botanicals. And each of Seedlip's three variants, Spice 94, Garden 108, and Grow 42, are alcohol-free and have their own unique flavors, which pair so perfectly with just a splash of tonic. And this podcast. (laughs) It's true. And you can find more more recipes for more complex cocktails in the Seedlip cocktail book or on their Instagram account at Seedlip underscore NA. You can head on over to SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and use the promo code ThisFamilyTree10 for 10% off your favorite non-alcoholic spirit. This offer is available in Canada and the US and again that is SeedlipDrinks.com or .ca and promo code ThisFamilyTree10. But we are also supported by Hello Bello. Being a parent is hard, like really, really hard. So when you go to get diapers to prevent the next eventual blowout, finding a diaper that's absorbent and soft without spending a fortune shouldn't be just as difficult. Co-founded by Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard, Hello Bello is built on the simple idea that all babies deserve the best, which is why they offer premium baby products at affordable prices. And their diaper bundling service lets you choose from over 20 different fun rotating designs and get them all to your house. And they, they come on it like a monthly system. It's amazing. And even the box is fun. The box, they like we had a lemonade stand. We had a spaceship. One box looked like, what's the- The, the Christmas one is a gingerbread house. So everything is so usable. The products are plant-based. They think of everything. They truly are amazing. Each bundle comes with seven packs of diapers, four packs of plant-based wipes, and even one full-size product freebie with your first order. Plus, you can get 15% off of any add-ons. So the bubble bath, the wipes, the diaper rash cream, the detangler. They have a ton to choose from and everything is so high quality. So to get Hello Bello super soft, super absorbent, and super affordable diapers delivered right to your door, 
Go to hellobello.ca and use the promo code thisfamilytree30 for 30% off your diaper bundle order. That's huge bang for your buck and a lot of potential blowout saved. Again, that's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30 to start bundling with 30% off your first order. So don't forget, that's hellobello.ca, promo code thisfamilytree30. This promo is applicable to Canadians only. And now let's get back to our interview with Renee. Believe it or not, somehow this podcast, and you probably won't even believe this, we have more listeners who don't have kids than than do have children. What? I know, it doesn't make any sense. But anyway, I wanted to get into kind of a hot button topic for them, dating and meeting online. I find there's a lot of people who meet online, they make up a story of like some romantic version that's better than meeting online. It's so funny. This is hilarious. So when... Like, yeah, I was on, what was it? Plenty of fish. And I remember seeing his profile and I was like, oh, like cute. And like, he was in his residency at the same hospital that I was doing my PhD research out of. And I was like, oh, nice. And then I looked at his height and I was like, oh, nope, <laughs> not messaging him. No way. And then like, he was always kind of like in the back of my mind. And then one day he messaged me. I like to make that clear because yeah. <laughs> he sought me out and i was like oh okay like you know and so we were talking and like talking and we met and i was like oh like just get over the fact that he's an inch shorter than you Mm -hmm. um and i remember back home there was a girl there who was my height like i'm 511 and she was married to a guy that was way shorter than her and like they were super like awesome couple um i knew i know both of them really well and i was like like she, she's doing it. And like, look at them. They're awesome. Like just who cares, Renee, like just go for it. And yeah. And then we ended up getting married, but it's so true. I think you, you date and you have these specific things in your mind and you don't want to veer from it. It's almost like if I don't want to date someone that's an inch shorter than me, like Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be wasting my time if I go on dates with him and stuff. Right. So you don't even want to give it like a go, but yeah, thank God I did like, geez. (laughs) And as far as online dating goes, would you recommend that? Because I met Alex through online dating. Mm -hmm. It's a long story, but I met her cousin and then her cousin set me up with her. So Mm. Alex was never on but, Tinder, if it, but but if it wasn't for it wasn't Tinder, for that, yeah, we so wouldn't I, have gotten together. I thank Tinder, but do you recommend online dating in general, or do you feel like, oh yeah, you do? You're nodding your head. A hundred percent, especially nowadays. I find it very hard to meet people when you're just out and about, like unless you're someone that like joins a bunch of clubs and you know you're very social and you have a big mm-hmm. friend group. But like for me, I was just starting my PhD program and I had my same friends that I did my master's degree with. I wasn't really like, yeah, I went to the gym, but it's not like people are chatting and stuff at the gym. I find it like you're much more likely. It just opens up your pool of Mm -hmm. people. And I was very like, you know, I wouldn't just go and meet anybody because I think you know, there's dangers in that as well. Like you have to kind of like vet them before you go out and meet them, but always meet in a public place. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like I a hundred percent, I would suggest that. Mm -hmm. And like with the filters that they have, I would be like, all right, like this age, this age, this height (laughs) to this height, like this, this, this. (laughs) Yeah. But then like, and then you can just go look at all those people. But if you set those filters, you possibly may not have met your husband. 
I know, but you got to set a couple. Like, yeah. a couple age is filters. probably important. Like, if yeah. you're 30, maybe you don't want to be with an 18 year old. Yeah. Yeah. Or, I like, do say. they have yeah. kids? Like, yeah. do they mm-hmm. smoke? Mm-hmm. Like, do they, like, there's all these yeah. great filters that you could put in. Like, mm-hmm. and then you just go shopping. Mm-hmm. Would you I ever be that. with a man who had kids if you didn't? online was that a, like is that a uh, deal breaker i don't think i clicked that off i don't think that would have been maybe back then but now it, it wouldn't be obviously mm-hmm. but yeah maybe back then maybe yeah okay so yeah. there you have it yeah. give shorter guys a chance not that your husband's even short i mean you're very tall uh 510 is he's, short by yeah. no means yeah. he's above average height no i once dated i'm 58 and i once dated a guy who was my exact like to the millimeter height and I loved wearing heels. Like I'd wear like four or five inch heels every time we went out. Just because I loved it. That's but what I'm saying. Like I loved being like five inches taller than him. Oh, you liked being taller than him. It was like a hot thing for me. It felt fun. Wow. Yeah. Like an Amazon goddess, yeah, it was cool. I think they would call it. But on, <laughs> on that note, I thank you for your time. This is one of our longer interviews. I kind of uh, got excited to talk to you both yeah. in the fun way and the uh, psychologist way, and it did lengthen the interview. Uh, but where can people find you? Where do you like them to go to first? Or give us every handle you got. Right. So I'm mostly on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, I think I shine in my Instagram stories. The podcast is the Mom Room Podcast. You can find it everywhere. And starting in January, I'm hoping to have the podcast on YouTube. And I would like to start a vlog. That is what I'm working on right now. I want to, like in a couple weeks, I want to start filming and then do a weekly vlog and put that up on YouTube as well. So you. That's awesome. You must be super A type to do all this because this is a lot of work. I I have a problem, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> I I a hundred percent, and I'm trying to outsource things to people now mm-hmm. for that reason. Like I can't do all this stuff, and then even the admin stuff and dealing with emails and scheduling and stuff. But yeah, that's. I was like, I really want to start a vlog. Like people love mm-hmm. to see me interacting with Milo, my son, mm-hmm. and like. Those are the, that's the content that does really well on Instagram, just like mundane toddler bullshit. And yeah. so I was like, I should do a vlog. Renee, thank you so much for sitting with us. This has been so much fun. And really like, thank, thank you, you guys. All the best in your vlogging journey too. We will definitely be watching that. And you guys have to come on my podcast. Okay. Anytime. Oh, 100%. Anytime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your week. Awesome. Thank right. you guys. Bye Renee. Take care. All right. That was Renee. Is it weird if I want to say that I want her to be my best friend? No, I want her to be my best friend. Like, I want that. She makes me feel like I've known her a long time. I don't know. Yeah. I really like her. You know what? It it just seems like she's somebody that we can hang with. There's a lot of people that you don't know what their intentions are. You don't know if they're actually being nice to you because they like you or just to be nice. I think she's actually exactly what you see. That's a vibe I get anyways. But she was hilarious. Honestly, guys, I know Shane said off the top that he's obsessed with the podcast. It's awesome. It's so great. I love how she tackles everything. Go listen to it and you will be so happy that you did. But let's head over to our interview with Sharnay Gordon and talk about inclusivity and diversity in our spaces at home and whether or not we're doing enough because I can almost guarantee that none of us are. Sharnay, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so glad that you were able to sit here with us. So you are the face behind Here We Read and 50 States, 50 Books. I was going to get that mixed up. Can you please explain to our audience, you are a diversity and inclusivity expert. What yes. What is that? What is that in the real world? So I basically 
love diverse children's books. I always have. I'm a huge advocate for reading and literacy and just all things books. I've always been just a huge lover of of that. And I basically just advocate for diverse books for children, something that I'm very passionate about. I've been doing this work for five years, which really started out as just being a passion project or hobby, if you will. Mm. Um, And now it's my, it's turned into my full-time career, which is totally unexpected, but uh, that's just the way that it has evolved for me. I was just going to say, when you say turn into your full-time career, is that because of the incident involving George Floyd, the, the murder? Not necessarily. No, I think that kind of had a little bit of impact on it, um, but not really. I was already thinking about going and, and you know, leaving my full-time job. I, I'm a previous computer programmer, so yeah. I have over 15 years of IT experience. That's what I went to college and, and graduate school for. I had been kind of itching to to do my own thing. And, uh, you know, when it came time, it just kind of happened, which was only over since this past summer. Mm -hmm. But prior to that, I had been, you know, working in IT for for 15 years. Um, But, you know, George Floyd was, I guess, a, a sort of a part of it. That's when I kind of really started to see the huge need that was still kind of out there. I knew that I was kind of filling a void all of these years, but kind of really hit me when George Floyd and other things happened that, okay, maybe this is something I need to Mm -hmm. be taking a little bit more seriously. Well, you know, just from our perspective, so like we were, we were really wanting to, like we have two daughters and our eldest is two and a half. So when she started playing with dolls, one of the first things we did, like her first doll is baby Bo. It's just a black baby. But when George Floyd happened and everybody was kind of coming to terms with their own efforts and anti-racism and whether or not they were doing enough, which nobody was, you know, we're kind of looking at each other, looking at our bookcase and going, oh, shit, like we we don't have any diversity in our in our bookshelf. So I think that for a lot of people, too, embarrassingly, they were looking at their own libraries and looking at what they give their kids and saying, yeah, we're not doing enough here. And then people are finding an account like yours, which is incredibly needed and incredibly helpful. So I don't doubt that you would have found, you know, seen that impact. Um, And I'm just so curious where the passion for doing this and spreading this knowledge came from. Like, does it come from being a mom? Does it come from experience in your own childhood? Like, what, what was that like for you? Yeah, for me, it mostly came from being a mom. I grew up in a you know, diverse neighborhood. I didn't, I didn't go to like diverse schools per se. It was predominantly white, but like where I lived, where I grew up, um, you know, I've always been surrounded by diversity, but yeah, I, it really kind of hit me when I became a mom that, that, you know, I wanted my kids to see themselves being represented um, as much as I could. Mm -hmm. And I figured, you know, I could definitely do that by, you know, being more aware of the books that I was reading, uh, the books that I was having in our home, as well as the toys that they played with. These are like direct (laughs) ways that kids can, can see themselves being reflected back to them in their home. You know, so I, that was, that was really important to me throughout my parenthood to, to do that with my, with my own children. I've, I've heard you say that uh, publishing and Instagram are a white 
centric thing. Now, when you say that, does that mean that there's just a light shined on the, the white influencers and the white authors, or does that mean there's a lack of them? So I think the light shines more brightly on, on white authors, white illustrators, white influencers. There's still just so much work to be, to be done. And, and, you know, if George Floyd showed us nothing else, he showed us that, you know, this country that we live in called America, it, it, it hasn't changed very much since the days of, of, of slavery, you know. And it's really sad when you when you really kind of sit back and you, you think about that. You know, yes, we don't necessarily have slavery um, per se the way it was back in the day, but to some degree, there is still very much a lot of racism that exists and prejudice today. Not only in the U.S. either. You know, uh, I think it's just worldwide. The U.S. is is definitely more. You can definitely see it more here, um, I believe. Yeah. And a lot of racism, I would think, starts at childhood when mm-hmm. people aren't exposed to diversity. And then before they know it, something different is wrong. Scary. Just merely by the fact that anything different is strange and scary to people. Now, but That's right. What else, like what other reasons are there for why having a diverse book collection would be important to, to someone like my daughter who is a white girl at the age of two. Right. But I challenge you also to think about why wouldn't it be important, right? Yeah. You know, I, I, I grew up reading and learning about history. Um, and when I say history, I'm talking about like predominantly white history, yeah. right? We learned about the U.S. presidents and we learned about Christopher Columbus and, you know, all of these things that I kind of grew up thinking. And, you know, as a child, you don't know, you don't sit back and kind of question it. You just kind of, you, you listen to what you're being told or you, you know, you read it in a textbook and so you think it's true. And so, but I never really questioned, you know, most of the stuff that I learned as a child. I just kind of tried to memorize it, right. Or, or just, or did what I was, did what I needed to do. And it wasn't until like I was in college when I was kind of out on my own that I really started to kind of question things more um, and challenge some of some of the, the history. So I challenge you to think, well, why why wouldn't it be important to have a, a diverse library, right? I think I was on a call yesterday and someone had a really great analogy and she said that, you know, we kind of teach, we're teaching kids to think about diverse books as broccoli, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you were introducing a new food uh, to a child, you know, most kids, uh, well, I wouldn't say most, some kids don't like broccoli or Brussels sprouts, right? And so you're you're basically trying to force this this these diverse books on kids, and and some kids are like, oh, well, why do I have to read that? You know, mm-hmm. this is these characters don't look like me. Why do I have to read that? Um, and it shouldn't be that way. Like we should be teaching our kids, you know, hey, this is a this is a great book, just about a kid an everyday kid who is learning how to ride his or her bicycle, right? It, it doesn't, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, a diverse book. It's just a book about a kid who happens to look different than you, but does some of the same, same things that you do, right? Mm-hmm. And in this book, he's learning or she's learning 
how to ride a bicycle. So I think if we can approach it that way, instead of, oh, well, we need to, oh my God, we got to pack our shelves with diverse books and, you know, just, just because this is what we need to do. Yeah. No, it's not. It's, it's just because why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Well, it's funny. So I'm a teacher. So we're in Canada outside of Toronto and I am a secondary school teacher here. But sometimes I teach elementary too. And I remember, so it was last February during Black History Month and I was teaching in an elementary school. And I was trying to look for the books, you know, books that I could read the kids. We always read one before lunchtime um, that featured a black character. But every single book that featured a black character centered around slavery or around Jim Crow era. And what's what's the issue with that? Because I... I felt that was wrong and I just, there was nothing else in the library for me to choose from. But what, can you tell our listeners what the issue with that is? Yeah. I mean, if you are only introducing your children to, first of all, you know, I don't even read my kids books about slavery, right? And well, for some I do, right? It, it just depends on on the the, the context and, and, and all of that. But it's it, it's slavery was a hard time. Like, like, let's just be real. It, it was a hard time. And so to introduce that to your kids, I think, especially, you know, depending on the age, it might scare a lot of kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they might think like if, if they're reading that book or if they're seeing that book and this is the first time that they're being introduced to a person of color, you know, what kind of message is that sending to them? You know, that what black people or people of color are bad uh, or they're mean Mm -hmm. or, you know, they're less than you, you know, meaning like a white person just because of the color of their skin. Right. And I think these, a lot of these um, books about slavery, um, especially written many years ago are very Mm -hmm. problematic. Oh yeah. Right. And so you you don't want to be teaching or introducing that to your children for the first time. I think it would definitely, um, scare them and give them uh, stereotypes that we don't even really need to be introducing yeah. at such a young age. Well, especially when the rest of the book cl- collection features, you know, predominantly white characters. It's like the only time they're seeing black characters, indigenous characters, people of color is when it's about, you know, Japanese internment in Canada, when it's about colonization of the natives and things like that. And that becomes so problematic. And I just, I wrote down a couple stats cause I thought it was fascinating. So in Canada, one in five people are... BIPOC, okay? So according to We Need Diverse Books, which is an awesome charity I found out of that I I didn't even know that existed, and it's really fantastic, only 10.57% of children's books feature people of color. And that is, you know, obviously only considering books that feature humans at all, which is 78% of books, but only 10%. And when you think of if one-fifth of all the people in Canada are visible minorities. And that's not even including books about, you know, other marginalized people. You're thinking LGBTQ, disabled community. That's a huge portion of the population that's not being represented. And like for you growing up, did did you recognize that you weren't represented in mainstream books and things like that? Oh, absolutely. Books, movies, cartoons, even as simple as like going into the, you know, the a local, well, we didn't have Walmart back in the day, but, you know, like a Walmart or a Target, like you see it on the shelves, like even just on the products, most Mm -hmm. of the products, the faces uh, are usually white faces, you know? And so definitely, I, I definitely noticed that growing up. Yeah. 
And I know I know it's weird to get into uh, numbers and figures of how many books is the right uh, ratio to uh, white books. But uh, Alex reminded me when she was talking about that black doll we have. We mention it often, and I guess it's it's to show that we are making an trying. attempt. We are trying. But then I think that's one doll in a sea of hundreds of white of white dolls, and we have the one book about diversity in a sea of books not about diversity. And the one book we have about it, it's an educational kind of boring book now to to my daughter because it's not fun like the, the other stories, like Alex was mentioning, just having a, a story that's not so heavy about racism or something that features the black characters. What do you recommend? Like, is there, like, should it be 50%? Is, is that the best way to be doing it? I don't necessarily recommend percentages or numbers. Usually it's just kind of like whatever you feel. Right. But you know, it is a problem if you only have one Mm -hmm. (laughs) diverse book in your home out of 500 books, you know, I guess because it's hard, we actually have to go out of our way and be consciously thinking of it. And sometimes I find we're ticking off a box. It's like, okay, well we've done that racially diverse book. We're done. And, and only when I have conversations like this do I actually think, oh, no, we have to go out of our way because these books aren't readily available. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, the publishing industry is now today compared to, you know, five years ago, it's changing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there's still a lot that needs to be done. But I when I try to do is I try to showcase books of kids being everyday kids. Right. Kids expressing joy, kids uh, affirming themselves, loving themselves for who and what they are. There are there are a ton of books available, and this is this is one of the things that I noticed when I became a parent. Is yes, there are less diverse books available there, but they're out there. Yeah. You just have to find them. You know what I mean. And so that's part of what I do is I thrive on finding the best, like high quality, diverse books that aren't necessarily about slavery or, mm. you know, like I said, they're just about kids being everyday kids. And I love that. But there are lots available. I definitely have lists all over my blog, on my um, in my Amazon store, my, my bookshop affiliate store. They are out there and they are readily available. You just have to know how to find them. So speaking of these books that you have so many lists for and things like that, can you give us a couple favorites, maybe a Christmas favorite and then a regular everyday favorite? Yeah. um, So I actually just released um, earlier this week. It's so hard. Like when people say, what's your favorite? I, I it's so hard to pick one, right? It, there's so many. Oh, of course. Um, but I just released a list earlier this week of my top 50 picture books for kids. And they're, they're usually for kids ages, um, you know, four to eight. My top 50 picture books for this year. And I can't pick, I can't pick one favorite. Um <laughs> But, you know, I will, I will pick, you know, I, I really like this year uh, a book called I Am Every Good Thing by uh, author Derek Barnes and illustrator, oh, what is his last I name? saw the cover on your website and judging a book by its cover, but the illustrator looked great. I was like, I was on the Here We Read website. Oh, yeah. 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 
Okay, Gordon, Gordon C. James, that's his last name, the, that's the illustrator. I really like that one this year. Uh, there was another one that I really loved called Swashbeat in the Sea um, by Juana Martinez-Neal. That was another really great one. Anti-Racist Baby by Ibram X. Kendi was another really popular one this year. And that one is all about like anti-racism, um, but for children, right? So those are like some of the ones kind of off the top of my head. But yeah, I just released a, a 50, a list of 50 of the year. It's always so hard to pick uh, favorites, <laughs> but I, I try to kind of narrow it down to like the best of the best. Mm-hmm. All right, perfect. We'll make sure people check out that list when we uh, when we wrap up. For but sure. I know this isn't your field of expertise, but I'm assuming you may know some really good uh, cartoons that feature diversity because I, I flip around my Netflix and I'm not finding it readily. I'm sure I could do a Google search, but just wonder if you have any good ones. You know, I'm not a big TV watcher. No. <laughs> um, and neither are my kids. I mean, I know when they were smaller, like Doc McSuffins, you know, obviously that's the more one of the more popular ones. Um, they don't really watch. They don't really watch a lot of cartoons. Even during I'm sorry. quarantine? Good for you guys. Because that's what I know. Been depending on. You must be on hikes a lot then, eh, during this quarantine, I bet. <laughs> Oh, well, we, I did. I did do a lot of hiking during the quarantine. Yeah, we have uh, a lot of good trails around us. But yeah, no, we, I, we're not, I, they don't watch a lot of TV um, and neither do I really. Mm-hmm. Good for you. But I, I know that there are some, I mean, I can probably look up some later and, um, and get back to you. But yeah, I know that there are some out there. My kids, we just don't really watch a lot of them. Sharnay, I wanted to get your take on, so books that have you know, been read for decades and decades by kids, but that we look at and we think, oh, like this, this didn't age well, or there's, there's something very wrong with this one. A few of them I wrote down because, you know, I find them all the time. Like I'll just, I'll pick up a book or I'll seek out a book that I read when I was little. And I'm like, oh crap, like I can't, I can't read this now. Like this is awful. How did I miss it? So one, I don't even know if this is true. This one I found online, but Cat in the Hat I found depicts minstrelsy. And so that what, I don't even know what that is. So, you know, the minstrel shows that they used to do in like early 20th century where they would like dress Jewish? up in blackface. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, geez, no. So the, it's like a, what is it? Old Moon, Old Man River, that okay. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I so, know the idea. Yeah. 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 So uh, apparently Dr. Seuss got the idea for the cat in the hat because he was performing in a minstrel show or he saw a minstrel show when he was in university. And that's where he got the idea for that book. Uh, I didn't know that that like really had an impact on me. And I was like, that I, I need to... Make sure so that that, that's that the inspired case. the book. It's yeah. not in the book. No, but then apparently even the illustration of the cat with the floppy hat, the oversized bow tie, he has black fur. Okay. It's it's very reminiscent of that. Oh. Uh, next, Doctor Doolittle. Doctor Doolittle is shockingly problematic. At one point in that book, he meets uh, an African prince who falls in love with a white princess. And instead of helping the African prince realize that, hey, you should go for her no matter what, he helps him bleach his skin white. Hmm. So, Oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I didn't know about that to do little. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Peter Pan, the book and the movie, obviously. Like I had Peter Pan on. We have Disney Plus. I put that on for my daughter. And it didn't even occur to me until they showed 
yeah, the indigenous people. Oh, and I was like, banned. ah, yeah. and I had, I had to go turn it off. Like it was, it, I couldn't let her watch that for a second. Like it was so embarrassing. It was so awful. So, you know, you think about these books and these are all mm-hmm. children's books. Do we get rid of them? Is there a place for them? What, how do we handle these books that, you know, maybe we read as children or have been in the mm-hmm. children's literature canon for so long that we look at now and are like our eyes kind of widen? For sure. Yeah. It's a personal choice, I think, for each family, right? I'm not going to sit here and tell you, throw away all of your Dr. (laughs) Seuss books or, you know, get rid of Peter Pan. Uh, It's a personal choice. Years ago, I didn't know about Dr. Seuss until it came to light because that was only like a, a, a fairly recent thing that kind of came up. I grew up reading Dr. Seuss books mm. as a child. And I think in the very early days of my parenthood, um, I read Dr. Seuss books with my kids when they were like, you know, babies and, and yeah. probably one and two. And then when that news came out, I was, you know, the one thing I will say is that for me, and this is just my opinion, you, you cannot take away the fact that Dr. Seuss was an exceptional uh, author or just, you know, a person who, who used rhyme really, really well. Like mm-hmm. that's why he was so popular. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think you can take that away from him, but you know, I, again, I think it's a, it's a personal choice. Do I read Dr. Seuss books with my kids now? No, I don't. But, you know, I think each person can decide what's best mm-hmm. for their family, you know, and I know that a lot of the Disney movies, especially like the older ones, um, and even some of the current ones, a lot of people see those as problematic as well. But for me, I think unless you're like really looking for this type of thing, like the average person wouldn't notice that, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's just a personal, I think it's a personal choice as as far as what you decide to do mm-hmm. with that. And along the same line, so again, I I am a high school teacher, so I have taught in the past several times of Mice and Men and To Kill a Mockingbird. And those books, you know, they're banned frequently all across the U.S. and in Canada. Mm -hmm. There's You hear about something every year where a parent is taking the school board to court over teaching those books. From one perspective, I can see that because I think there's got to be a better way to teach the perspective of marginalized people in North America that's more modern that kids can relate to better in these books but at the same time I also teach history and I think this goes so well with history and you can really give a really wide perspective of why this stuff was happening so I was curious if your take on on books like that like for older kids and for teenagers yeah, I know that there are a lot of schools um, started looking at like their required reading lists, especially like for high school mm-hmm. and middle school students um, and started to kind of revamp those and do those over. I mean, yeah, I mean, anything written or published, you know, prior to 19, you know, whatever, <laughs> 1970, right, <laughs> it is, is probably going to be problematic in, in a way in like when you're talking about from today's standards did people see it as problematic back then I'm sure a lot of people did a lot of books that that were written back in the day a lot of people would would look at them today and say they are problematic but yeah I think a lot of those a lot of those required reading lists for middle school and high school students definitely need to be revamped revisited and then you know you have to but but to do that, I think a lot of the schools, they probably don't have the dedicated resources 
like a, per, a person dedicated or people dedicated to looking at or reading each of those books and knowing whether, okay, should we include this one? Should we not? What's problematic about it? So there's a lot of work that would go into like a project like that, I think, to kind of revamp it. I, definitely, I think it needs to be done. I think it, it just depends on the school. Do they have the resources to get dedicate the time and the effort that's going to be required to do it? I know it's a, it's a huge overhaul, but I think it's something that definitely needs to happen. Okay, Sharnay, we're just going to take a quick break to let everyone know that we are supported by... Bravado Designs. Shane, I want you to close your eyes and put out your hands. All right. Tell me how that feels. Ooh, feels like, what, what is this? Does it feel like butter? It does. Butter is was... this actual? Oh, it's a bra. <laughs> so Shane was just holding a Bravado Designs nursing bra, which I was so obsessed with when I first got pregnant with Lucy. And I wore, even though it was a nursing bra with clips, I wore long after I gave birth with her, even when I stopped nursing. But they are truly so comfortable to wear like Shane if you're a woman holding this thing could you not imagine how comfortable that would be well just on my hands I feel like I don't want to get rid of it (laughs) so Bravado Designs now has released an everyday collection if you're not a nursing mother you can just wear one of these Shane if you're ever inclined you can head on over so this is podcast co-host friendly I would say it is if you are inclined, but if you want to get their nursing bras, you can go over to bravadodesigns.com. And if you want to check out their everyday collection, which Shane was just holding and talking about how beautiful it felt, you go to ca.bravadodesigns.com. And regardless of the website you go to, use the promo code thisfamilytree20 for 20% off your entire purchase. What is that promo code? thisfamilytree20 at either bravadodesigns.com or ca.bravadodesigns.com. But we are also supported by... My Breast Friend. My Breast Friend is the number one choice of nursing pillow for millions of parents around the world who nurse their babies. And yes, for the last time, it's B-R-E-S-T. The A is out of there. (laughs) It's true. And for more than 25 years, My Breast Friend's patented wraparound design has supported people in over 40 countries and thousands of birthing hospitals around the world. Lactation consultants credit the pillow for helping parents achieve longer and more comfortable feeding cycles than they thought possible and I can attest to this I was given a my breast friend pillow by a friend who said all right Alex try this it's the Cadillac of nursing pillows you're gonna love it I didn't get it before I started nursing I was like okay this is interesting then I started using it I started using another pillow and I kept going back to the breast friend until I just honestly I gave away all my other pillows it was the only one I could use and it's called my breast friend but men can use it too Of course, nursing your babies doesn't only mean feeding from the breast, but that's also bottle feeding. And Shane, you did that and you did use this nursing pillow very regularly. Yeah. And do I expect an award? Well, maybe. There you go. So if you want to purchase a My Breast Friend online, you can go to buybuybaby.com, target.com, walmart.com, babylist.com, or amazon.com. It's simply the best, most supportive choice for breastfeeding. It's the breast decision you'll ever make. And now let's get back to our interview with Charnay. Uh, this was a big question a few months ago, and I'm wondering how you handled it, this. If you've had this conversation even, or, or if you think it's necessary, the conversation about people being different and, uh, and racism in general, if you have that discussion with your children. Absolutely. This is not a negotiable thing for for people of color, I think, especially living here in America. Mm -hmm. I think I would be doing my kids a disservice if I didn't prepare them at a very young age for, for what's to come. But, you know, again, I think it's just about really just 
just talking to your kids um, and just continuing that conversation, like, you know, and showing them examples of things that are happening in real life to, to real people, not as explicit as, you know, making them sit down and watch the George Floyd video or anything like that. You know, I mean, maybe depending on the age you might, you know, for like a teenager, but like not for a three, a a two-year-old or a three-year-old. But I think, you know, at the, the early ages, it's just important to, to get your kids to notice things are different. People are different, right? I think children are just naturally born curious and they're naturally born to be sorters, right? They put things in categories, in, in order, right? Colors, uh, shapes, sizes. They're very smart and very intelligent in that way. And so I think just, just when you just keep reiterating the fact that, that people are different, yeah, we might have different hair, uh, we might have different skin, you know, people have different abilities and different disabilities. And so I think just kind of repeatedly telling kids or reminding them for, for me and and my kids, it was just very different. It was just, you know, especially because I have a black, um, I have two black children, a black son and a black daughter. Um, I just have to, you know, let them know that sometimes they may be treated differently just because of the way they look, you know, is it fair? No, but you know, you just have to prepare your kids for that. Mm. You, You just do as a person or as a parent or a guardian of of children of color, it's just one of the things that we just do Mm -hmm. and we keep doing it, right? We keep doing it. We keep reiterating it because it keeps showing up. It keeps showing up. I'm terrified, you know, every day when my husband goes out, it's just like, not, not terrified, like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, is he, is he going to die? But it's, it's, it's top of mind, you know, because I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what could happen on any given day just because of the way he looks. Well, like you said, you know, so little has changed since the days of slavery until now. So little and progress has been so slow. And, you know, talking of books like we are, I think of something like To Kill a Mockingbird, as problematic as it might be, you know, it's about a black man being falsely accused of rape of a white woman and being sentenced. And that how different are things now, right? So I, I, I do think that it is also, it's so cyclical and that cycle needs to be totally smashed, totally broken. And I so applaud what you do bring light to all these amazing books. Um, but if you could let our listeners know what you do, like your work with 50 Books, 50 States. Yeah, yeah. So 50 States, 50 Books Sorry. was an idea. <laughs> 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 That's okay. Yeah, people always get it wrong. It's okay. Um, what what I uh, that was an idea that came to me back in the summer of 2018, and I I was looking for a way to get my kids involved in literacy in some sort of way, and I just kind of came up with the idea to to start it, and I just kind of got it going, um, not really knowing if it was even going to evolve into anything. I started out just, I got someone to do the logo. I did the website and then um, within like within days and then on my Instagram page in my stories, I just said, Hey, you know, have this new idea for my kids. I don't know if it's going to take off, 
and I posted the logo, talked about what our initiative would be, and people just started flocking to it. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we do essentially is we collect diverse children's books for ages, uh, for kids, for ages um, birth to 17. And then we donate the books, 50 books at a time to each of the 50 U.S. states. Um, So it ends up being a total of 2,500 books that we donate per school year um, to different literacy organizations, schools, libraries, um, or just any places that serve children across America. That's awesome. That is so fantastic. And are people able to contribute to that, like financially? Absolutely. Absolutely. So people... Yeah, so we have, um, I'm, I'm in the process of, of turning it into a nonprofit organization. Yeah, so hopefully next year we'll, we'll have that 501c3. But for now, it's, we have a GoFundMe page and people can contribute that way. We have a website. People can go on our, our all the information is on our website. So it's 50states50books.net. So you can find our link to our GoFundMe page there, as well as our, uh, there's a wish list that we have with like different books. And then there is our mailing address. So if people would like to send us book book donations, they can do that as well. That's amazing. And Sharnay, how can people find you and all your lists and your favorite books and your reviews? Yeah, so I am at hereweread.com and the word we is spelled with two E's. And uh, so that's my blog. What What is with the extra E? Because I, I had a little trouble. I was like, when I, even when I emailed you the first time, it kept sending me an undeliverable. I'm like, what am I doing <laughs> wrong? And then I was like, the E, the extra E. Is that just we as in like we, it's fun to read? Or we as in little. Uh, oh. I started, yeah, uh, yeah, when my kids were one and two is when I started. So oh, uh, I didn't yeah, even think of that. Little. That's yeah. smart. <laughs> okay, so watch out for that, people listening. There is an extra E, which can catch you, throw you for yeah. a loop. <laughs> so that's my blog, hereweread.com. And then on, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and Twitter, all under Here We Read. Phenomenal. Sharnay, thank you so much, folks. Go check out Sharnay's blog. Go check out her Instagram. It's got so much great information. And enjoy the rest of your week. And Merry Christmas. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes, yes, Merry Christmas. Can I say one more thing? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I um, one of the interesting things that kind of evolved from me doing this, this work is I now have four children's book publishing contracts. Um, oh, congratulations. So I have I have a book coming out in early 2021. It's called uh, A Kid's Book About Diversity. And then I have another book coming out in May that will be released uh, actually tomorrow. Whoa. So I, I can't say I can't say the, the, the title and Even all that. Even though it's released tomorrow? A... No, no, no. The uh, cover reveal okay, will okay. be done tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that book will be coming out in May of next year. And then uh, and that book is a book that I edited. They brought me in as the editor. It was previously a self-published book uh, by a white uh, female author. And then a major publisher bought the rights to the book. 
And so they decided to change it up, change up the book, but they wanted to bring in a person of color to help edit the story so that it wasn't seen as um, offensive to anyone, yeah. <laughs> um, especially to people of color. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and move, so, uh, so I, I edited that book. Uh, so I'm really excited about that one. And that one is a, a children's book about white privilege. Wow. Oh, awesome. um, and then I have another book coming out in the fall called A Friend Like You. And that one I am co-authoring with another author. And then I just signed another uh, children's book contract last week. So, uh, and that one will likely come out in two years. And the way that all of that happened is just very organically. Publishers literally just sent me a DM, DM on Instagram, uh, or in one case, someone sent me an email and just said, hey, would you be interested? So, very you know, cool. so I- Wow, you're on a roll. I was gonna say, you've been the busiest person in the pandemic in the u.s yeah. <laughs> well send us links when these yeah. come out because we'll do swipe ups to all of them oh thank you so much yeah i will i will yeah like people can pre-order you can pre-order a kid's book about diversity now that that one has already been announced and that one will be coming very soon so i'm um, i'm kind of preparing for that for that to come out but yeah that that should be pretty big and then I'll, yeah, I'll send you the links to the others as Beautiful. well. Absolutely. Perfect. That is so exciting. Congratulations on all that. That is huge. And thank yeah, you. all the best. We can't wait to read them. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, you have guaranteed one sale at <laughs> least right here. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Absolutely. Well, Charnay, again, take care and all the best. Same to you. Right, bye, Charnay. See ya. Bye. Okay, that was Charnay. I love how Charnay approaches things. And, you know, she really does have so many great recommendations. She wasn't kidding when she said that she has tons of lists. Go check them out. She does readings, too, on her IG, which is awesome. She will, you know, actually open the book up and she'll start reading the story for you with her kids or on her own. And it it does give you a really good insight to what books you'll want to buy, what books you think will fly with your kids. Because sometimes, honestly, we'll buy something and Lucy will so not be into it. And then it's the most, you know, unsuspecting random books that she falls in love with. So she really does give you a good idea about what she's promoting, what she's talking about. So again, go check out Charnay. You will definitely learn a thing or two about her and about what book should be in your library. But now is the time of the show where we answer listener questions. Well, you actually answer them. I chime in with my two cents. <laughs> Sometimes they're worth less than two cents. But Alex, hit us with some questions. All right. So we will start off. Have you ever confronted friends and family about race or politics? And how did that go? So I'll start by saying it's everybody in my family and in my friend group, we are all living in the same bubble. We are all incredibly liberal-minded in politics and social issues. And it's there's really no diversity in political thought there. Although with acquaintances, I have brought it up. And I have had conversations. I try to always go into something not in an accusatory way or a judgmental way, but just try to lay out, you know, what I believe, why I believe it, and why why I think they're wrong if I think they're wrong. But again, not in, a, in an accusatory way because the second you start off a conversation like that, and I know people are going to be seeing their family members at Christmas and especially for those listeners in the States, 
this could be a really trying time, even if you're just seeing your family members over Zoom with everything that's been going on. But yeah, don't make them feel like you're trying to be superior over them. And, you know, just try to have a conversation in a kind and civil way and you will get so much farther than if you just kind of pontificate i guess i try to approach it almost like in disbelief and like i'm humorously like exasperated i'm like what you don't actually think that (laughs) that in that kind of way and i find that makes it way less intense Mm. and opens up the conversation in a way that's not so confrontational because i do not want to be in a argument when i'm in an uber ride a taxi whatever i just want to like often uber drivers will with me get into some weird racial conversation that I don't agree with. And I'll be like, I don't know about that. That, (laughs) That's a little like, let's not, whatever it is. You know what I mean? How do they respond to that usually? Usually well. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, you know what I mean? I don't really mean that or... Or so it polit- kind of if it's politics, they'll they'll meet me in the middle some way. And I find humor is a great way to cut through tension. Oh, it's the best. All right, next question. Tips for having baby number two when baby number one was born during COVID and has no experience being left with people. How am I just going to leave him with family or with a sitter when I have to go to the hospital to give birth? Do I put him in daycare? So I know this is a very specific situation for one listener however this situation really is felt by every parent when you drop your kid off to daycare for the first time when you leave them with a babysitter or a family member for the first time so i do have some tips for that Uh, i was on care.com they had a lot of really good tips as well as just what we did when we first started bringing lucy into daycare so you got to ease your kids into it i think this is the most important point that i have easing into it. Give your kid time to get used to the environment. So before you bring them there like full time, before you give them to grandma and grandpa for three days while you go have your baby in the hospital, get them familiar with their house, get them familiar with the people themselves, whether it's a daycare proprietor, a family member, whatever. Your kid needs to build that relationship and build that trust with them so that they'll be comfortable and so that you'll be comfortable as the parent who's leaving them. So when we first brought Lucy to daycare, before she was there for the full day, we brought her there three separate times in the week prior. So it was like on the Wednesday, I brought her for an hour in the morning. Then on the Thursday for two hours, on the Friday for three hours. And then on the Monday, she was there for the full day. And when it was, this part was really hard for me, but when I first dropped her off, right, Lucy was like kind of getting nervous. She could feel that I was leaving. She's like, who is this lady that I'm about to be with without my mom? And the woman who ran daycare was really amazing. She started engaging Lucy immediately. So she was kind of, you know, presenting herself as like the rescuer when mom left and the caregiver for the interim. And I found that that was so effective. And even if Lucy cried and she really only did like twice during her whole time at daycare, I would really try, even though it like kind of killed me inside, you can't go back and comfort your kid. You can't, you just got to get out of there. You have to reassure them with your voice, your tone, and you know, like a happy face and just get out of there. The daycare provider, the family member, whoever will pick up the pieces and then they'll be able to start bonding on their own terms kind of without you. So again, ease into it. Go slowly. If you are going to be having a kid, drop your baby off at your parents' house for an hour. Get them used to the place. Get them used to the people and things will be good. Like trust in it, have patience and just know that things will be okay. 
I agree with what you said, Alex. <laughs> I don't have anything good to say. But yeah, you're, you're very good at this. Though. Thank you. All right, next question. What has 2020 taught you? Oh, so much. I feel like 2020 has been the biggest learning year of my life. It's been so challenging. Challenging isn't always bad. No, yeah. And, you, you know, we've, we've tried things that didn't work out, but that doesn't mean because we didn't succeed that we're failures. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? So I think all these lessons have made me a better podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more importantly, I think a better person. And, uh, and that for me is the ultimate goal. Yeah, no, I think that's a great answer. And I think what 2020 taught me the most was that we can make things happen on our own. And this was never a part of my ethos. This was never something that I really tried to do. Like I never really tried to take initiative and get things done like I always knew what I wanted to do with my life and you know I was on the very linear path to get there but you know we have done so much we've worked so hard like it's it's difficult to tell somebody who has never edited a podcast who has never put one together how many hours you put into this because you know you listen it's a couple hours long and it just it seems well in our case we have one episode <laughs> we have one episode that's four hours long so even even just to listen to it is such a fair chunk of your time that i think even if you have a rudimentary knowledge of podcasts you're probably like these people spend way too much time on this thing yeah but you know what it it has been such a great exercise in creativity and in for me finding more confidence in myself that i didn't think that I had. I didn't think I had the confidence to seek out writing opportunities to, you know. Wait, are you writing something? No, no. Well, who knows? What I might... writing opportunities are well, you Well, the seeking? Mother Muse thing. And I might oh, I might right. do more like that. Congratulations. Thank you. So I'm I'm really proud of us. And yeah, I, I've, I've learned that we make a great team and that we can get through so much crap like work-related stress, pandemic, new baby, everything. So I'm very proud of what we've done. Dream team. Next question. What is the most interesting fact about pregnancy or labor that totally blew your mind? This was so easy for me. I remember seeing a meme about this and it blew my mind and I started bawling my eyes out. And anytime that I was pregnant with Betty or Lucy and I was thinking about this, I would just start bawling my eyes out. So that's the fact that women and girls develop all the eggs that you will ever have when you're a fetus inside your mother. So it's like all of the babies that you could possibly have are already there, like within the first nine months of your existence as a fetus. So that means that my grandmother technically, when she got pregnant with my mom, she technically carried me too because I was just an egg inside my fetus mother. So then I think about me carrying Lucy and Betty, both girls, they both developed all the eggs that they will ever have for the rest of their lives when they're fetuses. So I basically carried my grandchildren and that it's just, it's a wild connection that I didn't think existed. I, I never considered it before. And knowing that, it's like, if I ever have grandchildren, I can only imagine how I'll feel so connected to them. And they'll have no idea of any of this, but I'm. it's, it's just so wild that no, you're carrying more than one generation. Makes me jealous of you, Alex. Yeah? Well, I don't have the grandkids. <laughs> you know. have the grandkids. Well, you can just spoil them when they actually get here, you know? Okay. So 
So anyhow, next question. Do you ever re-gift gifts? Do you have a re-gifting story? I genuinely don't. Maybe I have and I can't remember. What about you? I don't. And here's the thing. If I get something that like is totally useless that I don't like at all or whatever, it just becomes hilarious to me. And then I love having it around because it's hilarious and I don't want to give it up because I'm like, oh, look at this funny thing that somebody got me that I'm never going to use. And it's just like a happy reminder that, you know, somebody actually cared about giving this to me and I like that. I think that was really sweet of them. And it's just kind of funny. And I like having those little tidbits. I have hoarding tendencies. So I'm trying, <laughs> I try to throw it out if it's yeah. bad. I'm no, trying to get good. over it. Or donate it, obviously. That's the number one thing that we... Yeah, I consider donating, throwing yeah. it out. Okay, next question. My parents and in-laws buy my kids loads of presents. Should I tell them to hold back? So my first initial instinct is yes, because, you know, the mess of all of the problems that come up with the fast production of clothing, of toys, things like that. So bad environmentally. And it's like we waste our money on so much crap every year that we don't need to waste our money on. And then I was looking it up just to see if my instincts were right. And ding, ding, obviously they were. So I found an article in the Journal of Infant Behavior and Development. And researchers found that fewer toys led to more engaged play. So if you give your kid, say, four toys in a half hour, they're going to have more creative and interested play in those toys and they'll actually be able to do more for themselves developmentally. However, if you throw them in a room with a hundred toys for a half hour, they are going to be so overwhelmed. They're going to have a sensory overload and they're going to spend so much time going from toy to toy that they're not going to have the time to sit there and the wherewithal to allow themselves to get creative and to foster that and to foster that kind of development. So it is good to have fewer toys. So what I would recommend is possibly saying, hey, let's create this play kitchen for our kid. Maybe if anybody wants to contribute, we could use this piece, we can use that piece and this piece. And then they're coming together to create this like very educational based toy that your kid could spend a longer amount of time with and something that maybe you as a parent wouldn't be able to afford on your own. Well, my initial reaction was less toys is a great policy, except for Christmas, because you want that excitement <laughs> and you want to see their faces and ripping the toys. But what you just brought up is great points. And that's why you doing all this research just makes this segment so much better because I'm swayed. I mentioned I'm easily swayed, right? <laughs> yeah. I take tidbits. You know that speech. Anyhow, next question. So fewer toys. Who is your favorite celeb couple? I'm saying Chrissy and John or Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively. I like Dak Shepard and Kristen Bell. Yeah, they're great. They're really great. Yeah, I, I find that I relate to them a lot. See, I like couples that don't take themselves too seriously, that are more relatable, that present themselves in a relatable way. Mm -hmm. And I think Chrissy and Dax and John and Kristen, I think those guys do a great job of it. Yeah. Uh, who, who else is there? Name some other couples. Well, Blake and Ryan, I like them just because they have the same baby name as us. I don't know a lot about them. Like I know Ryan Reynolds, I and, like. Well, see, there you go. And I respect them for not letting us know a lot about them because they maintain a certain level of privacy. And I respect that. Okay, so we like them for being private? Okay. No, and for having good taste in baby names, Betty. Yeah, I'm not saying we that. went public with it first, though. Okay. <laughs> Next question. What are your feelings regarding the lockdown coming? Initially, we were just in the zone where, you know, you couldn't be with people outside of your bubble and, you know, like the regular kind of lockdown 
be safe pandemic rules but now it's going into this gray zone where the rules are way more stringent and if you are hosting people over for christmas and you are caught or somebody calls the cops on you all it takes is one sour neighbor you can get fined as a host for $10,000. And for every individual that's not from your household that is there is I think $880 extra like per person. That's a lot of money. Do you think people will actually adhere to it or they'll be like, the cops can't catch us all? I think people have the cops can't catch us all mentality. Uh. And it's, see, it's hard because I get it. Like it's hell, it's hell. People want to see families, but also it's like, that's when things get worse. You know, I was really looking forward to it because obviously those listening know that we've been in quarantine since March. My parents have been in total quarantine since March. Like there's no stores or anything for all four of us just because me and the girls are high risk. And then Shane's dad and Nona, they've been in quarantine for the last two weeks, not going anywhere so they could join us for Christmas. And my brother has a COVID test scheduled for Monday so that he could join us too. So we're going to be like the cleanest, safest group. And I was so looking forward to having that opportunity to see my brother because I have not been able to hug my brother since he got tested when we first gave birth to Betty. And that's been really hard on me as it is on everybody. Uh, so I was really excited for that. And now that that's, you know, being taken away, it that's really hard. And I, I don't know, I don't know what to do now for Christmas. So it, this is difficult. I think we're all in that mode, though, of being so restricted. And I know Christmas is such a special time. And it's a, it's a tough time not to see your mm -hmm. family. And I think they're doing it at this timing because they know there's going to be a massive spike in COVID after Christmas. Oh, my goodness. And I can't tell you all the people that I know that are seeing their grandmothers, grandfathers, older parents during the holidays. And, you know, that's scary, too, because some people just they don't know that they're carriers because they don't they don't have symptoms. Yeah. So I definitely don't like it. But do I approve of it? Do I think it's probably a smart plan? Yes. And this was a second parter to that question. So do you think that raising kids in the current pandemic will impact them later? So honestly, I'd like to think that, hey, we're all in the same boat. If the kids are going to be behind, they're going to be behind together. And, you know, then it won't really matter because everybody's still on a level playing field. But the reality is that we're not all on a level playing field. And this pandemic is just widening the socioeconomic gap that already exists. So reading levels are dropping a lot in students that go to public school. Like we see that we were off for so long and we went to remote learning and that was difficult. Not everybody had access to internet. So it's like if you're at a private school, maybe your school didn't shut down at all. You are still maintaining, you know, your academic level. Whereas other people are going home, they're getting distracted. Maybe some of the kids at home have a tutor at home. Maybe they have a parent who can help them out. So maybe they'll maintain a certain level. But then there's kids who don't have that kind of supervision, who don't have that kind of help because perhaps their parents are working. Perhaps they have a single parent, whatever the situation. It just keeps going down the totem pole until you're left with the kids that don't even have access to internet and have no way of connecting with their teachers, with their schools. And of the 188 countries that imposed countrywide school closures, 1.6 billion children were affected and 463 million kids were unable to access remote learning due to their lack of internet because of their poverty, because of, you know, so many people in the family needing to use the Wi-Fi for whatever reason. That's a lot of kids, 463 million. So those people, unfortunately, are 
going to fall behind. And again, the rich continuing their education will be able to get richer and that gap is just widening. So it's hard and it's difficult. And this is a reality that I was hoping didn't exist and wasn't going to impact kids. I think that we're lucky because we have a toddler and if you're kind of in our boat, then that's the lucky thing because hey, maybe they'll just be a little bit socially awkward. But I mean, if you have kids in school, see see what you can do to help foster their learning at home if they're not in school. But it's a, it's a tough boat to be in. And our last question, Shane, this one is for you. Wow, honored. <laughs> Already I'm blushing. We kind of uh, alluded to it before, but how long does it take to edit a podcast? I think it takes for every minute, it takes three minutes. And that this is increases if the person has a lot of vocal tics. Ums and ahs. Ums and ahs and likes. likes. We tend to say kind of like a lot. <laughs> so we? I try to take that out. But sometimes there's been a rare guest who doesn't have any vocal tics, is so concise in speaking that it's probably a minute and 30 for every minute. So yeah, one hour podcast will take three hours to edit. Often our podcasts are three hours long, so that takes nine hours. Mm-hmm. It's, it's quite a long time. But I think it's worth it. Usually, <laughs> it's worth it. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. I, I like to think it's worth it. It reminds me of putting together a puzzle, and the fact that puzzles are kind of annoying, but when it's done, it's very satisfying. Mm-hmm. And I know sometimes you kick out the podcast, and all you get is people not liking it. But when it does work and people are enjoying it, it really does make everything worthwhile. Oh yeah! And Shane, on that note, thank you so much for listening to. This This Family Family Tree Tree Podcast, Podcast, episode 67.